Koji Nakamoto, Casey Road, I'm on tight. I'ma make history, baby. Got long scriptures, my baby. You think you vibing, but you ain't describing. That sound like a miss to me, baby. It ain't a mystery, dog. I wait to risk the reward. Ordinal pixels is dropping. The big one is popping. Satoshi's galore. Sub 10K, sub 100K. You ain't got none of them. It's gonna be a long day. It's gonna be a long night. Might be a long flight. If I see SB, if it then it's on sight. I'ma put it on Toshi. I'ma put it on Naka. They just put it on Testnet. We gon' put it on Blocker. Yeah, we doing it proper. Shout out to you. Shout out to everyone that's rapping Ordinals on their computer. Road to a million. Ordinals. 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 Good evening, Bitcoiners. That's right. You're here at the Ordinals Show. I'm Trevor.BTC, managing partner at Stacks Ventures and CEO of Ninja Alerts. I'm here with my co-hosts, Jan Builder at Xverse, host of the Builders Podcast, as well as the king of NFT Sparta himself, Leonidas, the man whose name is synonymous with NFT history, Twitter Spaces host, and NFT history wiki creator. We're here to talk about Bitcoin ordinals with some of the smartest people in the space. We host the show Monday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Eastern and Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern to hit all the time zones and spread the good word about this new movement of art, culture, media, trading tools, and new kinds of digital assets being built on Bitcoin Layer 1. Ordinals what? For those of you just tuning in for the first time, ordinals and inscriptions are a new kind of on-chain, non-fungible token first created on Bitcoin. An ordinal is just a piece of Bitcoin, a Satoshi, that's had a file inscribed to it. Literally, the media is uploaded and stored on the Bitcoin blockchain. These ordinals are fractions of Bitcoins and work just like Bitcoins. They don't require any smart contracts like you need on Ethereum. They're simple, elegant, and powerful. But more important than this technology is the cultural change that we're seeing on Bitcoin. Developers are pouring in and innovation is accelerating. And that's what we're here to talk about. And so let me introduce some of our guests today. Of course, we've got Adam McBride. You know him, part of the Emblem Vault team. Twitter space host for both NFT Now and Rug Radio. We've got Patrick Stanley, the CEO of 1BTC. We've got Billy Resti, a developer and artist, the creator of Ordinal Shards. We've got Ragnar here, the founder of Trajan, who is putting on the Ordinals Conference. We're excited to talk to him about that today. And we've got Albert Liang joining us, the lead managing partner of the Bitcoin Startup Lab, hosting the Bitcoin Ordinals Hackathon coming up here at the end of the month. We're going to have a lot of great people stop in and out throughout the show, and I'm just super excited to, to be here. I'm glad that all of you guys are here with me. And don't forget to follow the Bitcoin Ordinal Show on Twitter, at The Ordinal Show. Subscribe to our Substack newsletter, link in bio. We post weekly recaps in the newsletter and RSVP links for future shows so you never miss what's happening in the Ordinal space. And with that, I'm going to turn over to Leonidas to kick things off. And on that note, I'm going to turn it over to Jan for segment one. Awesome. Hey, good morning. For me, morning. For you, good night, everybody. And super, super excited to be here. And let's get into it because we actually 
have a lot of things to talk about today. We have around Leonidas is actually the, the king of content for the show and he prepared seven segments for you today. Basically the first one, obviously all eyes were on Yuga and 12 Fold this week or these past couple of days. And I guess we're going to still continue to talk about this. But I pinned the tweet from Leonidas actually talking about the numbers, right? So if you look at the numbers, it's the biggest, the largest drop on ordinals today. I'm just going to read some of these numbers for all of you. Obviously, you can just check the tweet as well. So the total sales is 735.71 BTC, which is over $16 million. And the highest sale is 7.11 BTC, which is close to $160,000. And so basically what we want to discuss here, what do you guys think, good or bad? And uh, how do you see the space evolving, etc.? I would start by saying it's super good. Congratulations to Yuga. For them, they're a multi-billion dollar company, at least in the private markets. I think it was a $5 billion evaluation they raised that before. It's a good revenue, I think, $16 million. Who would blink at that? But more importantly, I think that the Yuga team is super excited. I was on a space with Illa, the producer, who is the community and partnerships lead for Yuga. And he's got a taproot wizard now. He's all jazzed about it. So I think they're very happy with the financial performance of it. I think it's also, and from a pure primary sales perspective, 16 million, I think we're at 6 million in sales before this. And that's measuring from the different marketplace contracts and and on-chain data. That's pretty significant. I think that's, uh, that's 3x more than the volume that we've seen to date in one going. And I'm super bullish on it. I think it was a a great success. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what the actual inscriptions are going to look like going forward. Yeah, I share the sentiment. To me, it was exactly what I imagined, to be honest, which I think is a good thing. It's predictability is a positive. It's a plus in the space. It, it did well. It did $16.5 million in volume. If they had gone way higher than that, it would have exceeded my expectations. But my expectations were decently high. They're a large brand and it certainly wasn't like super low. So I think the headline just was like, okay, it was what we expected. It's Yuga. It was a pretty big drop. It seems to have gone well. It wasn't like crazy, like $100 million or something. And it also wasn't like $3 million. So I think right in line with what people were expecting. And I know, you know, this in these kind of events where you actually see where the, you guys have been hearing the, oh, it's all wash trading for a while now. And it's, I don't think, I really haven't noticed that much wash trading personally. And anytime you have real money cross change hands like this, I think it proves that the space is pretty, pretty darn real, Adam. Yeah, I think it's, it was actually a little bit mellow, honestly. I thought it might run up crazy at the end, but that kind of above, I think I put out a tweet asking just for general sentiment on, on pricing. And it was over, I think the, the tweet was actually right on the hole was slightly above to Bitcoin. But it's, I'm, and for me, I'm bullish. I think it's great for the space. I know a lot of Bitcoiners were bummed out that it wasn't done in a trustless way. And a lot of people we've been chatting feel that this is going to move in a more trustless manner. And I think this just moves developers to even build more. And I'm excited. I'm really excited to see the second for my own bags. I'm just waiting for the first couple of people to put it on Emblem Vault, sell these things on OpenSea and see if we can get some real price action. That'll be cool. Awesome. Yeah, let's go to, I guess, Billy was first or Eli Herf. Let's go to Billy and Eli afterwards. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Yeah, I think it's a big win for the community. Echoing your sentiments right at expectations. I think if it went too crazy, it might <laughs> might not be the right right way. I think it's, it's a huge win for everybody. I think the people that were able to get some Leonidas, I know you got a few. That's awesome. I think they're going to do really well. I'm excited to see the entire collection. Like, I can't really judge it based off of one piece i can superficially 
I don't think this project is 100% about the art. I think it's about the history, but I am excited to see the rest of the art and see what people got. I heard the that top bid got like the rarest one. So I think that's awesome. And we got to remember, like the bid started rolling in hot and heavy. So I imagine every Discord was just trying to get people set up. So you had to go through a bit of friction, right? So you had to at least have a Bitcoin address, any kind to send the money, to send the bid. And then you had to tell them, then you had to have an ORD receive wallet address to give them to where to send it and then where to send the bid if you didn't get it. So I think even just going through those hoops, I know a lot of people, I was on a space earlier where they're like, dude, Yuga brought me to ordinals. And I think that's just great. Just even going through that friction, no matter what wallet it is, we got to remember that even some of these wallets that aren't perfect yet, it is better than a centralized exchange. And I think that's a step in the right direction. Okay, Eli Herf, take it away. Yeah, to take that one of those last comments that Billy made, like saying that Yuga brought people to ordinals, I think that's massive. I think my friends who aren't even into NFTs or aren't even into Web3 at all, they shouldn't be my friends right now, but they haven't, they've heard of Board Ape Yacht Club, they've heard of Yuga Labs, and so for Yuga to do something outside of the Ethereum ecosystem on Bitcoin, I think it was massive for the space. So I think that the sentiment is extremely bullish, and yes, not everyone loved how they did it, not everyone even loved the UI for, for the whole setup of the whole thing. However, everybody has heard of them. Everybody has heard of Board Ape Yacht Club. I think that this was very bullish for ordinals, bullish for the space, great for eyes on. It got a lot of attention outside of the bubble of crypto Twitter. So I think the more bigger brands that do it, it just shows that they would have done their research. They would have spoken to the right people. Yes, they didn't do it in the way that everyone everyone would have loved. But if it's going to drive innovation and it's going to bring the positive attention that it brought, or at least the attention that it brought, whether it be positive or not, any publicity is good pub- publicity. So I think it's very bullish for ordinals on the whole. Yeah, 100%. And before we go to Sai, I actually was scrolling through a couple of tweets and people talking about 12-fold. And I noticed two things. So Triple Farmer, he tweeted something along the lines. And I think maybe this is something for Billy to maybe as an artist to, to talk about is that he was pretty surprised that people are willing to spend over two Bitcoin on art that they actually didn't even know how it's going to look like eventually. And he was comparing it to art blocks that art blocks actually gives you a preview of basically the entire collection or at least you have a sense how it's going to turn out right before you buy into that collection so that's just one point that i thought was very interesting and the second one even the founder of artifact right clone axe he was actually super pumped about 12 fold and the collection and obviously i don't know what this means he could just be a fan of the art but it's just really interesting that some of the best builders in the NFT ecosystem are taking notice and are supportive of this. And so we could actually see more of these guys coming into ordinals. Obviously, I'm not sure if it makes sense for Clonex and Nike itself, but definitely interesting to, to see this dynamics. So, Sai, yeah, please go ahead and then we can move on. Yeah, I feel like the consensus is pretty fairly that it's cool that they've come across. They've brought a community of their own with them, which is awesome. I'm excited for them. Congratulations on a great sell. I've said that to a couple members of the team over with Yuga that I've had the chance to talk to. There's still a couple of us diehards who wish we had a week to do it better, but that's life. And while I may disagree with how it was done, they did the best they could with what they had. And we move forward with more people in the community. Keep building a cool culture around ordinals and have fun.
Yeah, I think the interesting thing is people criticize them because they could have done this with the same auction with the PSBTs, which are a very like leading edge technology in terms of underexplored. I don't know if there's any big companies. I don't think there are any big startups that actually use them in production yet, right? It's a lot of the sort of solo developers who we all know because we've been spending like weeks with each other here and in constant contact. But the, and for a big company like Yuga, it's, they are a startup, but they're not a startup anymore. Once you reach that unicorn status, it's really hard to be like the first one to take the jump into a leading edge technology. Typically, you don't want to do that. Like the risk is not worth the reward. I think that that's probably like how they were thinking. And even when some of the initial conversation, like from Dennis Porto, for example, he did these Dutch auctions where he was just giving out PSBTs, the partially signed Bitcoin transactions that were like decreasing in price. And the way that works is that you basically sign one for one price, you broadcast it out. And then like you wait however long, like 10 minutes and you sign another one, you broadcast it out. It's not like setting up something on OpenSea, which is actually centralized, by the way, the way they list NFTs. It's not like you can have like a decreasing price over time automatically. You have to actually be there to sign it. And so that was the suggestion. And I didn't even realize until today that they that I thought that the suggestion was, oh, they could have pivoted to do a different type of auction that would work. But it actually is true that you could do the exact same type of auction in theory. Like there's some logistical issues with this. And I thought it could be good to comment a little bit. But instead of having people send their Bitcoin, what they could have done is had you would actually have needed the inscriptions to already have been done or have at least prepared the UTXOs that the inscriptions are going to be in. If you already prepared the UTXOs that the inscriptions are going to be in, but they're not there yet, which is the case, they don't they haven't inscribed these yet, then it's still essentially a trusted model because you're trusting that they're going to inscribe on those UTXOs. But what they could do is they could have allowed people to and I and it basically sign a partially signed transaction for every single one of the 300 UTXOs, for example, and send those over to Yuga. And then Yuga could manually pick from who got the highest bids for each one and assign them that way. Now, logistically speaking, I'm not sure if you can sign all of these with one button click. I guess you could design a UI for that. But even myself, someone who's literally like on this beat every single day and also a developer and also thinking about this and how to make investments in this space, for me, it was a click today when I actually realized that, oh, wait, this exact type of auction could have been done and here's how. And now you could argue, hey, they should have gone in and talked to the developers and stuff like that. Maybe, maybe it depends like what the upside is, right? I think it's, it ends up being a calculation between, hey, speed, it's a trade-off. It's speed. It's, you know, how much evidence there is for who you're, does, are the people that we're talking to? Do we have to vet them? Do we know them? You're, the developers that you're talking to, if this stuff isn't in production and there isn't evidence that has been done yet, that's a, that's another risk that you're talking to the right people and then you know, you're going to design it right. It's going to delay it, of course. I know things are moving fast. But ultimately, I think that it's people's choice, really. I think people can hate on them and say that, hey, you should do it this way. I don't necessarily agree that people are too dumb to make their own decision or like people are being tricked or misled here. I think it's pretty clear that you send your Bitcoin to somebody and yeah, you're, trust you're trusting them. So yeah, I agree with everybody. I would have liked them to see them be the guinea pig for this leading edge technology and maybe help it clear up some misconceptions in the broader space about, yes, this can be done on Bitcoin L1. But I'm also just grateful that a big brand would jump into Bitcoin and give it a shot. And they have to, there's a limited time, there's limited, you want to limit risk involved. Nonetheless, like I think it was an incredible result. I wasn't expecting 2.25 BTC floor for these. I was thinking like maybe short for sure, like one Bitcoin. But to see it be like over to Bitcoin, as people mentioned, sending the, B the Bitcoin to an address to a company and also not seeing the art, 
But just knowing that the brand that they bring, I think, brings a lot of credibility to the space. And it literally is the on-chain data we have is $6 million in volume. That doesn't include the OTC deals, which I do think we've had a significant amount of OTC deals probably for the Ord Punks or some others. But it's at least double the volume and liquidity coming into Bitcoin that we've, than we've seen previously. And so I think that's a good thing. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the next thing they're going to do. Thanks, Trevor. Billy, before we go to you to react on this, I just want to maybe throw it out there. I would really love to get a sense from you guys. Who do you think is buying these things? Who is buying these? Holy shit. Who knows? How is there any way to know? Like, I know there's some sophisticated investors and people who have snagged them, but I, definitely not Kazomo Medici because he commented on uh, Tropo's post and he's like, so what are ordinals? How do they work? So there's a lot of, I would say, larger art collectors in the NFT space who literally haven't even got their feet wet. So I'm curious to know if anyone else has insights on who these mystery buyers are besides Leonidas. Well, I personally know some ETH whales and definitely ETH people were involved in these purchases. Like, 100%. And obviously, Leo's re- leading the charge up here, but for sure, there were a lot of ETH collectors, for sure. And yeah, a lot of people were caught off guard with it a little bit and maybe didn't get their Bitcoin organized in time. But for sure, a lot of ETH people moved in and thought this would be, if not a hold, a nice flip opportunity. That's for sure. Yeah, I definitely think it's majority ETH NFT kind of people. There's definitely a cohort on that side, though, of people who'd never held a Yuga asset before, like myself. So this was like, they hadn't hooked me on anything before, really. I just had always collected like old NFTs. But then, yeah, it's like they're doing art like this and they're doing it on ordinals. These were, this was something that interests me. So I decided now, I guess I'm going to hold some Yuga pieces. But I do know there is a, I know someone on the Bitcoin side of things who I don't think does a whole lot on Ethereum that grabbed a few. So it's a mixture, but probably, it's probably the usual suspects, like mostly Yuga holders, I would imagine would be the majority. Yeah, what's it going to take to bring out some Bitcoiners? Maybe Ragnar has some thoughts on this because I'm trying to attract, get at least a balance because I know for my project, you know, we have mostly an ETH crowd and I'm just trying to get them over to, can't force them to burn and claim the ordinal, but 40% have done so. And I think that's actually pretty great. I'd love to get it to that 80, 90, 100. Oh, boy. I'm trying not to share my opinion on Yuga Labs. Yeah, I don't know. Well, just about moving into the NFT space for Bitcoiners. Maybe just comment on that. Gosh, this is being recorded and people are listening, right? This isn't confidential. I think if you're going to go after what you might call people who are like dyed in the wool Bitcoiners, right? Who don't have never cared about any other chain except for Monero, which is beautiful. But at the same time, aren't so intolerant as a lot of maxis are. So it's I, it's a very niche scope of people, I guess. But if you want to find that niche who also have some Bitcoin to spend, I think you have to do collections that can only either be done on Bitcoin in some way or truly reflect the heart and soul of Bitcoin. And I'm not a big, I'm still not a big like collector. I like the utility of ordinals and I still haven't found really a collection that speaks to me. But there's a few that I like, like ordinal loops, Bitcoin history, which I received a free one. And it was one that had the Bitcoin white paper on it with the wrong date of public collector's item there. So to answer the question, yeah, it's Bitcoiners. I think it has to reflect the heart and soul of Bitcoin. It has to be technically innovative. 
I think it has to be minted in the right way and marketed in the right way. And I'd love to see an ordinals collection that benefits some of the devs who are slaving away in the Ordicord in their mom's basement doing the hard work while we're on Twitter spaces. I'm absolutely behind that. To be honest, I just don't think, first of all, you would maybe want permission before just doing something like this. I know Vitalik didn't like getting free Sheeb, but I don't think Casey's going to ever release a project. I just don't think that's his style necessarily. So yeah, I don't know. There's an interesting, there's an interesting question around how to fund the protocol. And I think these are conversations we should definitely keep having and maybe other people can help pick up the torch and kind of help fund there because I just don't, I don't really see Casey tweeting out, hey, send me some money. Yeah, it's not Casey I'm worried about. It's some other guys. I got to say, it will be a big disappointment if we can't get any kind of some hardcore Bitcoiners to, to join the team. That would be a big disappointment. And I think for a lot of people building marketplaces and stuff, that would be a huge disappointment because we're expecting some Bitcoiners to open up a little bit and uh, maybe change their PFP. Ragnar, maybe you want to do that. I know you haven't done it yet, but we're pushing for you, brother. Never going to happen. <laughs> but maybe one way to incentivize it is, and this is more of a funny thing, maybe it's to take a bet on who is the biggest, like, maxi, toxic maxi, infinity over 21, biohazard, lightning, who will ultimately cave to ordinals. Make some project that bets on that and then whoever does, mint it and then donate that money to, to some of the core devs who don't have the means. I think that'd be hilarious. And right now, I don't know who's in the running. Maybe that's more of an Udi question. I think we just need to go to this this meetup, get them drunk and sell them art. That's what Andy Warhol would have done. But Ragnar, that's interesting because I was actually thinking about that this morning. I was researching a very popular on-chain project on Ethereum from years ago. And it blew my mind that the entire sale went to a charity organization. So this morning, I was actually thinking about the same thing, like donating the next project just to devs, not just like Casey and Ord, but all the Bitcoin devs. You just see those updates flying through. And we always hear on podcasts about companies stepping up and giving them funding. Without that, they're basically just working out of their passion and blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, see, great minds think alike. Like when I crawl through GitHub with my tiny IQ brain trying to understand things and then the Ordicord and I see all these people and like the contributions they make and how smart they are and the things they figure out, it's just, it amazes me. And I, most are pseudonymous, so I don't know what their financial situation is, but I'm sure plenty of them aren't, could be in a better position. So just my random thought. I want to jump in. Thank you. Because I think, um, you yeah, know, go the, ahead. like the Ragnar, you painted a perfect picture of a toxic maxi. 21, what is it? 21 to infinity, laser eyes, mm. hazard. It depends. If Do you think that the toxic maxis who have the PGP key and the Noster key, they may be non-technical, but is like the PGP key, is that a technical person or is that a non-technical person? I'm just curious. Gosh. <sighs> That's a great question because there should be like a technical test to find out. Yeah, I, I think that I the know. biohazard corners, I think they're like the post-2017, right? Or I don't know how many of those are like people like, you think Eric Voorhees, like OG Bitcoiners who are out there like building the space. Like I think probably the earlier Bitcoiners probably have more Bitcoin and they're yeah. not, they came from a different dynasty of like practical pragmatism rather. And they probably have a lot more Bitcoin than the people who have the laser eye PFPs and came on in the after 2017, 2021 era. So I think that it's a little bit of a weird thing to say, or not a weird thing, but it's a little bit of counterintuitive thing to think that like, 
when are we going to get the people to only have Bitcoin to buy ordinals? That depends on how you view, like how you view the space. If you think that 87% of people who hold Bitcoin also hold other cryptocurrencies, are the 13% of people like newbies getting their feet wet and they haven't ventured into any of the more, I would say, risky assets? Of course, I think Ethereum is a riskier asset than Bitcoin just because of a lot of factors. Maybe not by a lot. Nonetheless, I think it is. Are they going to be the ones who we actually want? Or are we already targeting the right audience with people who are multi-chain, who are sophisticated on technology, who saw the value of this on day one and are now jumping in? Because those are people who have been collecting like bags and various cryptos. And a lot of people, they play around the space, they trade, they invest to buy more Bitcoin. And so I think that represents like probably a larger share of the holders of Bitcoin. What do you think? That's an interesting point, the nouveau riche versus the old money. It's funny you brought up Eric Voorhees. I was thinking about him the other day because I forgot that he blocked me during the block size wars, and I was hoping to re-fix that. But anyways, yeah, so the older Bitcoiners who, yeah, like you said, come from an earlier vintage of Bitcoin holding, that's interesting. And that's more the guys that I had in mind who might be more willing to spend more on this stuff. But the problem is so many of them just left the more public arena of things in a way. And so they either don't care or got tired of it. But some, obviously many are still around. So not to be negative, many are still around. But I really would love, I was thinking about this the other day. It would be so cool to have some sort of reunion of people who left Bitcoin over the last few years, but are like coming back now. I think it'd be so neat to see those people. And like Voorhees is one of them, not Roger Vera. We don't need him back. But there's plenty of other people who I'd love to see back and be in this conversation right now, because there's a lot. And mostly I think they lurk, but I'd love to actually see them publicly come out and say, hey, I had this collection or I want to do this collection or whatever. Yeah, very well said. Awesome. Okay, guys, so does anybody else have any comment on Yuga and the stuff? Otherwise, we're going to move to the next segment. Awesome. Uh, oh, Albert. Yeah, okay, have, go ahead. I, I just have one comment. I think it's overall positive because the market has spoken, right? And I think Hugo, although they're a massive company, I think they executed perfectly, right? They went lean. They didn't do a decentralized non-custodial auction, but it still worked because so many people, there was just so much demand. It didn't even matter. And, and so it's positive overall. Right? It just shows that this movement is here. And, and those who are bold enough to do something now are in a very good position to, to benefit from it. So hopefully that's some encouraging words for those of you who are on the fence or have the capability but haven't pulled the trigger yet. Hopefully you guys jump in. But that's a good point, Albert. You brought up a lean startup methodology. That's something that you teach and that I've been teaching for many years. And I think that might be a helpful reference for people because it's actually like a management discipline for entering new markets and for testing new products. And like one of the like most basic principles of Lean Startup is not to build any tech, to do things as low tech as possible. And having people send you, this is like something I recommend to entrepreneurs all the time, like literally every day, they're testing an idea is don't write any code, validate the market, see if it works, try a low risk P experiment. If you're doing an FT collection, mint a small number and just use whatever existing tools. Don't try to like reinvent the wheel just to see if your high level concept makes sense. And that's literally what we teach by the book as a business strategy for leaders and startups. And that's what they did. It's probably one of the reasons why I'm more on that side of it being okay, because I, I tell founders all the time, what is a low tech way you can get this done? Can you like talk to the people about the right should take custody? If the demand is high enough, then people are willing to take risk. So that's like the definition of 
a good product to build is one where the early adopters are willing to take a risk in order to test or try out the product to get the value from that experience or to solve their problem. If they're willing to take risk, that means there's demand. If they're not willing to take risk, that means the demand is low. And so the fact that they tested it as a way that's, as people have pointed out, custodial, very trusted, people have taken a bigger risk to send their Bitcoin to Yuga, it does show that there's much more demand to come. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's well said, Trevor. Well said. And I just want to just make it clear to everyone, I'm definitely for this non-custodial auction capability. In fact, we have some teams where have already developed that capability. So I'm not saying that they should continue to do centralized auctions, but it's a really great way to hit the ground running. And then now that they've shown that the demand is there, now they can upgrade to something that's more palatable by, by more people. Cool. site. Do you have a... Do you have a comment yeah, on Yeah, I do. So you mentioned lean methodology, and I fully agree from a business perspective. Absolutely an excellent way to approach the space. However, I think this may be a case where we've seen it taken a little too far. And by that, I mean we have a custodial solution because we didn't build the tech. We have a promise of art because the art isn't actually guaranteed at this point. Do we know? Are you receiving generative art? Do you, does anybody actually know what art they're getting at this point? And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Yuga is going to not deliver a great product. We all agree they will. But if anybody that didn't have a name as big as Yuga's had done this, I think we could all agree that we would be much more likely to be condemning it right now. And we need to be cautious that this doesn't become a standard or a norm. I think we can all agree. Buying a promise of art and a not in a trustful manner is not the way forward. But I think, again, it's Yuga, and they can get away with it because their name is that big. Yeah, I would say you can definitely take it too far. I think, though, the key is transparency. The key is a lot of people. I used to run workshops all around the world, and basically we would have people go on the street and interview customers in New York City. Go up to somebody in the corner and be like, hey, can I, can I have five minutes of your time to ask you if you have this problem? Or go up to someone in Starbucks. And people have different levels of comfort with inconveniencing other people. And sometimes it can be counterintuitive. In fact, you may think going up to somebody at Starbucks, asking for five minutes of their time is you're taking something away from them. But actually, in practice, what we've seen is that people actually, a lot of people are bored in this world. They like people saying hi to them. They like human interaction. We've had people like get talk to somebody in one of these workshops and then that person asked them out on a date or something like that and they went on a date or they found an investor who was, oh, that's really cool. Like, how can I support? Or they've found introductions. And so I think sometimes these are like social norms and like it, I've done like all around the world, different, cult, different cultures in Japan and the US and the UK. And I think the key is like being transparent, like letting people know this is the risk that you're going to take. You can choose to take it or not. And it also depends on like, your actual tactic to motivate people. Like, I don't think that Yuga, for example, hyped this up or said these are going to be, you're going to 5X your investment overnight. Just invest now. Like these type of things that would be considered sleazy. I think as long as it's transparent and also it depends on, I could, it could argue that, hey, to have, I don't know how many people send in bids, but let's say a thousand or 2000 people try out a new technology that's not production ready that could lead to permanent loss of their Bitcoin or could lead to unexpected consequences could be taking more of a risk than doing it in a custodial way where they have more control. Like whether they took it too far or not, it's really, it's hard to say. I agree with you. They 
did this MVP and they like involved like a thousand people or more, but at the same side, at the same side, everybody had the choice to make their own decision. They were transparent about it and didn't do it in a way that was like a high pressure, a sales tactic. And it could have gone, going to the tech path could have also led to other risks. Yeah, no, I agree with that, Trevor. Ultimately, it's really up to the consumer, right? If there's a group of us that says we want the non-custodial solution, then people are going to build it. There's definitely going to be people in between, and there's going to also be people who say, you guys a big brand, or I know these people, and then we'll just take the risk because we'd rather, we want to take that risk because we're speculating. And so there's, it's definitely like a rainbow, right? For every single color of the rainbow, we got, we could, that's potentially a business opportunity to create something to optimize that, that product for that group of, uh, customers. Okay, guys, sorry to jump in. I think we need to move to the next segment because we really have a lot of things to cover today. But Sai, I know maybe you wanted to comment. So just real quick, if you had some reaction to this, but let's close the segment and let's move on because there is like six other things that we want to discuss. And we have discussed you got quite a bit already on the previous show. Absolutely. Super short. I do agree. There is a risk tolerance as a spectrum, just like fungibility is. And I love that people are here and are engaging. That's worth more than my heavy bias as to what should and shouldn't be, right? I would say the comment from Trevor is one I wanted to respond to. We can say that the tech could result in people's loss of Bitcoin. So could a custodial auction. How do we know that they had backups of the keys controlling the accounts receiving Bitcoin? How easy would it be for a a hard drive crash? They no longer have the private key and all of that's locked away forever. So moved the one, you've moved the person you have to have confidence in to Yuga's end, and you don't have any way of verifying if that confidence is correct. And that, again, that gets back into the whole argument of why some of us are worried about this and why others are not. I think, though, at the end of the day, we can all agree more people in the space, even if they disagree with our stances, is better. It's how we move forward collectively. My point was not to say that one is risking the other. Just pointed that there's risks involved, no matter what they do, and could debate more. We could debate for a long time about it. And I think, I think, nonetheless, you make great points, I. And it's a good thing that there's different perspectives. And I think that things are going to be like the pushback on it is great. The feedback is great. We need to do things better, and we will do things better. And it's great to have big brands in the space. Awesome, guys. We're going to move to the low inscription number club. So in the past week, we've seen a sub 10k club pop up and they have a discord and a twitter account and then we saw the sub 1000 club discord pop up and then the sub 100 discord pop up and then now there is a sub 100k discord for low inscription number clubs pop up so all of these have popped up they're mostly being manually curated so there's no i don't think they're like forcing you to prove that you hold something in order to get into the holder chat but the space is still nascent enough that I think most people know each other and it's fairly straightforward. So if you're not in those groups, definitely go check out. There's a sub 100K and sub 10K Twitter account and the Discord link is there. Yeah, pretty much. I'm curious people's thoughts on, have you guys joined these? Are these things people are finding valuable? This is something we talked about for a while and we had our first Twitter space for the sub 10K club. Is this something people are into? Do you think you could see yourself collecting a piece that is literally the least desirable asset in like the sub 10k club like some random inscription of three characters or something is that appealing to people i'm just curious to hear people's thoughts from a collecting perspective the sub 10k club was listed on the first marketplace as an actual collection ordinals market has a collection page for the sub 10k inscriptions and you can see the four and it shows up in like the volume on the front page etc so i'm curious people's thoughts here 
Eli, you had your hand up first. Yeah, look, I've been thinking a lot about this actually, and I think that I personally, I like, I'm not probably not going to go and join those discords, maybe, although you know, it might be worth checking out. But I think that they're meaningful, and I think that each sort of power of ten, the first hundred, or the first ten, the first hundred, the first thousand, the first ten thousand, the first hundred thousand, and then after that, I think. It probably is up to a million. I don't know if you're then going to say, oh, this is inside 200 and 250. You can get a little bit carried away. But I think they are. We're not talking right now, but I think in a few years, because it's a long time in crypto and in Web3, isn't it? They're going to be quite prominent. It's like yourself following the, the early NFT projects. I think they are going to be quite historic. So I think that the one unique and special thing about Ordinals is that even though you've got these collections that are popping up and then we're going to be able to have these parent inscriptions and all that is super cool and then people obviously are grouping their inscription ids into groups so you know that they belong to a collection and you can trust the creator and have provenance in different ways i still think that for anyone who doesn't realize that they all belong to one collection it's not a smart contract on ethereum where they're different collections tech this is one gigantic collection that's being expanded on and expanded upon every day and i think that's quite fascinating so i still think obviously within the first 10k there might be more desirable inscriptions, but I still think regardless of whether it's this or that that was inscribed, I think it will hold some historical significance. And I think that humans love collecting, humans love things, vintage things from history. And I really do think that they are going to hold some value. Another really fascinating thing that's popped up this week as well is you might've seen with Megapunks, I think you collected some as well, Leonidas, is that some of the, in- the inscriptions were written onto Satoshi's that were from 2009. So they were mined in 2009. So I think that's going to be a really interesting narrative to watch out for. So you might have an early inscription number, but then I think that inscriptions that are written onto like historical sats, that's going to be fascinating to watch play out as well. In the Megapunks collection, I think that they were written onto Satoshis that were from like block 2607, which was like mined in 2009. Which there were only a few people mining coin back then, so you can make your predictions. Perhaps Satoshi themselves mined that block, and that's going to be really fascinating to see play out. So I think that we're going to see two narratives, and I think that they're both going to be valuable. I think rare sats or early sats are going to be valuable. And then I do think, initially I thought, oh, the inscription number doesn't matter, but the more I've looked at it, and then the more you compare it to ENS and BNS and historical NFT projects and the clout or the kind of historical prominence that they hold... I think it's going to really stand out. And so I think you're then, like in any collection, going to have more desirable inscriptions inside those numbers. But I do think that your first 10, your first 100, your first 1,000, your first 10,000, et cetera, are going to be valuable regardless of the inscription purely for the, maybe it's just me, but purely for the historical prominence that they have. Initially, I thought not, but the more I've seen it, the more people are focused on it and humans drive narratives we're storytellers and the story stories are very important i think it's going to be very important and yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing how it all plays out from in a with the market dynamics yeah some re- some really good points there i think it's still a lot of it's tbd but the interesting games being played are the low inscription game and this like rare sat oldest sat finding some sort of interesting collectability in a sat that's obviously what you're inscribing on so that is part of that asset that you're holding And people do care about these things. It might not be the majority that care about them, but there's definitely communities that are popping up. And I think that's cool. Adam. Yeah, I don't think I I don't think there's going to be anything like we would see in ENS with the sub hundreds and that sort of thing, just because there isn't 
so much of a connection between the various inscriptions, obviously. But I think it definitely has collectability. There's zero question about that. There's also a lot of collectability with kind of rare numbers or just not rare numbers, just numbers that people find interesting. 666, 69, 420. These sort of things are just humans just will gravitate. I think you'll see as these inscriptions come up to some interesting numbers, you'll see massive kind of people trying to grab very interesting inscription numbers. That will for sure happen. And just a note, Eli had a good point on the early sats. We've already started connecting kind of artists with people who are doing kind of this panning for sats deal to try and find some of these early inscription ones or ones on specific days that artists want to use to add value to the to to stuff they're creating not to be the principal source of value but just to add value to to art they're creating which i think is pretty cool love it love it isabel i invited you up just because i i had seen you on some spaces before but figured if you wanted to share anything or had any thoughts feel free to jump in i saw you had your hand up no, yeah, I'm listening in and catching up on on what folks are saying. This may have already been shared, but I to me it seems the early inscriptions play ultimately is just is a scarcity play, right? It is a sound money play, right? And I think that's important to bring into the fold. It's not just the sort of like human nature, humans like to collect things. It's also because rare art holds the same fundamental characteristics as sound money itself, right? And like any Bitcoiners who are listening right now are going to like fully understand this concept, right? There's a reason why the traditional art market was the single best performing asset in 2020. And that's because rare art holds this scarcity principle, which is like fundamentally what makes it valuable. And I think that that's like early inscriptions, super early, like rare sats, those have a scarcity principle that like cannot be recreated, right? And particularly like the early inscriptions, it's just like, they there's no way to replicate that there's a very minimal number right so there's only 10,000 sub 10,000 k right and there never won't be any more than that right never will be more than that to me that's just like the obvious like thing to remember about this is it's not human nat- nature it's not humans like art it's people like to put their money in scarce sound things yeah this is the angle i come <laughs> at this as well and obviously like why i hold a few of these P- appreciate you sharing that and yeah i don't know well Maybe the Bitcoin maxis, the really hardcore people are going to go for the sub 10K and pass on the Yuga assets. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, pass. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think one of the crucial things that the low inscription numbers were missing was a community. Like you see collections that only have 50 supply or like 69 supply or 100 supply. And frankly, the supplies that these projects have do not allow for community building. So when I was talking to my friend from Inscribe Pepe's and they were mentioning how they were interested in forming a group that kind of brought us all together, I knew it would be like a necessary part in this like landscape of ordinals and inscriptions. So yeah, it's just, I think, it, yeah, it was like something that was just bound to happen. And I think it's something that a lot of people are going to look out for. And yeah, it's a very cool thing. Also, Regarding the rare sad thing, I think it's going to be like a, a lot more common now for projects to try to, I don't know, inscribe on like rare sats or just interesting sats. And it could become like more of a, I could see it becoming more of a gimmick later on where it's just like a necessary thing to inscribe on like interesting sats or something related like that. I think uh, like where the real interesting part would be where if, would be if like we see somebody creating a project inscribing on sats that, 
are uncommon. If you see Casey's sat rarity list, like getting uncommon sats is, I think it's like one in like several million or something. So I think when someone could do that, I think it'll like really, yeah, it'll really set things apart compared to the whole interesting sat or like 2009 sat narrative. And this is also a question. Are like how much Bitcoin was actually mined in like 2009? I felt like there was like a lot of the supply that was mined back then. So I feel like it's actually, this could be like a contrary take, but I feel like there's actually a lot more 2009 sats than we think. So yeah, I want to know your guys' thoughts on that. In short, there are a ton of 2009 sats. Every Bitcoin has 100 million sats. So yeah, I don't think it's not like a scarcity thing by, hey, this is just 2009. It's a scarcity in that very few people, at least for now, are even thinking about doing this. Yeah, I don't know. What I saw Nolish doing was he has a script. He pulls some Bitcoin from an exchange. He runs his runs it through his script. And then he tries to find one within the first 10 days of Bitcoin's creation. And then he'll extract that and then send the Bitcoin back to the exchange and repeat. So I think what he is doing is just trying to find the absolute oldest Bitcoin. But still, you got to remember, like, those blocks still have, like, billions of sats in it. So... It's, it's, a, it's an interesting question, and this gets back to what Isabel was like, talking about around like scarcity. There's going to be like weird kind of games that get played here, because I don't know the true scarcity of some of these things. Like I know a bunch of these stats are locked up potentially forever, but yeah, I don't know. It, it really depends on how much is actually circulating out there. I do think there's interesting ways you could potentially do, clearly if we say the first sat in every block, that's definitely a finite amount. That's not in the billions. So they don't know the answer, but people are going to find wherever they can find scarcity and a narrative around scarcity that resonates. I'm pretty sure that's where people will be inscribing. So yeah, I don't. I think it's very much TBD. Jan. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to say I'm super happy, Paz, that you mentioned the community aspect, right? Because I think it's so important because obviously people love collecting for the sake of potentially storing value or investing, hoping that the asset is going to appreciate in time. We're still humans here, right? Before AI takes over, we love the human connection even more. And I think that there are already people, without mentioning any names, there are already people working on tools that, let's say you hold specific ordinal in your wallet and you're going to be able to assign specific roles to people in Discord or giving specific access to different things. And I think this is super valuable as well, because when you look at different collections, right, there's always different purpose, even on other chains, right? Like there are collections that are super valuable because of the fact that you can connect with like-minded people, you can discuss specific things. And I think we had good things here. The on-chain monkey guys, they're actually a great example of that, right? Because they're pushing specific values and they're trying to gather the community around those. And obviously they're leveraging NFTs and now even ordinals to basically put that community building effort on steroids in a sense. I'm super excited for this. I think we're going to see a lot of different clubs and a lot of different projects that are going to be pushing the community aspect even further. Maybe they're going to be gathering in real life events and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm super pumped. And thank you, Pat, for mentioning the community aspect as well. 100%. Let's go to you, Trevor. I have three questions. I'm going to say the first two and then I'm going to, I want to focus on the third, but it's just interesting conversation, Pazzo, you brought about the 2009 satoshis and how there's going to be a lot more of those than any other year that's really interesting to think about and then also i was curious if if the satoshis are mixed in like for example in a single utxo if you're going to have satoshis from different years because i didn't 
I was thinking originally that you like track the UTXO and not the Satoshi, but it, like Leo, you just blew up knowledge's strategy, which is gangster that he's just like taking the Bitcoin from exchanges and checking the dates of it and sending it back. That's like such a good, like I'm surprised like not everyone is trying to do that. That's super interesting. And I wanted to know, I love Leo, how you always set up the segments for a question that you're most interested in that you're leading here, because I want to know like Leo, like how low is your lowest inscription right now? Because I know you've been like hunting these down, like a bear looking for honey kind of thing. Can you say which clubs that you're in? I don't know if there's like necessarily, I think we're a little premature to have like clubs, but I would be in the day eight club if we were to have clubs. Yeah. Oh, you mean for Satoshis? You have a day eight Satoshi? Yeah, for this specific sat, right? Because literally like the first sat is zero. The second sat is one. And then now we're at like sat something quadrillion, trillion something, right? So yeah, it's like a, a sat that's like still in like the hundreds of billions or something. But yeah, it, it was mined on the eighth day of Bitcoin's existence. Okay, I didn't even I didn't even think that there was going to be like day one, day two, day three clubs here. I was just asking, are you in the are you in the 100 club? Are you in the 10 club? Oh, we know gotcha. Rock, I think Rock Toshi is like the most OG in terms of the clubs here because I know he has a, uh, he inscribed something that crashed my computer. So that's a pretty low inscription. But yeah. Leo, are you in well, the, Leo's are you got in the 100 club? a very special yet? number, his club. Rock Toshi's got some badass stuff, 100%. So by definition, if you're in the sub 100 club, so I own inscription 53 and 69. That puts me also like you're in the 1K club, the 1, 000, the 10,000 club as well, the 100K club. Yeah, I guess. The, Bro, let's the lower be honest. Go, that's 69 number. It doesn't even matter what is on that. Yeah, how should that one? That was that, an ex- that the most expensive like, one, is, right? That is, man, it's almost better than like number two. It's a, it's amazing. <laughs> Don't tell Casey that mine's better than his number zero, guys. But there is a Discord. There are very few members at the moment, but it's a pretty based group of people. <laughs> I don't know if you want to comment, Rock. Sure. So you mentioned sat hunting, specifically blowing up somebody's spot in regards to shuffling sats through an exchange. I'll let you know the people who are actively hunting for rare sats are doing more ridiculous things. Some are actively running lightning channels with high throughput. Others are engaged with the stacks ecosystem as a means of shuffling sats around. Some are even just running coin join services with the ability to siphon off specific UTXOs and replace them with their own. So the tech behind hunting sats right now is ridiculous. It's all ad hoc. It's people who are interested in building goofy stuff who are just going for it. On that note, there are bounties out for specific sats or rarities of sats. I heavily recommend checking out the order cord if people are interested in getting involved in that. So that's sat hunting, sat rarity you brought up the 2009 sats being potentially more common than we expect. This is actually true of a lot of ways that we can measure rarity. Great example being sats that are a prime number. We would logically, we assume it's going to be way lower than it is. In practice, I believe when posted the math, it comes out to about 1.5% over the complete range. If you disregard the first block worth which is incredibly common for something that we logically think is going to be way less common. And it's just due to the sheer numbers that we're working with. Same thing applies to ordinal rarity right now, where we are looking at under 1,000, under 10,000, under 100,000. Soon we'll be saying under a million. I think as we get into these bigger numbers, you're going to see unique applications or things that have become deprecated over time become more valuable. Things like, I believe it's 422 or 442, 
the Doom clone to show my own bags, my Apple One emulator with tapes that load across inscriptions, which is not something you're supposed to be able to do yet. Recursion is on coming soon, though. So I think Rarity is super awesome, and I wish I was in a position like Leonidas where I was able to say I was in a under 100 club. That was some alpha right there. I need to call up some, some people in, that are developers here to start running Sat Hunting Farm. Because it sounds like this is like a race, a mad dash to, to discover these. Go ahead, Leo. Yeah, I'm just, I'm wondering, have you heard of any miners that have, is Nick, for example, like extracting any of the like interesting, like first sat in the block? Any of, like, have you heard of any miners doing this yet? Because they're the ones who get the first pick, I guess, right? Yeah, I've heard of more than one mining pool who have considered it. However, they operate at kind of an industrial scale. So the risks associated with adding software to that stack may not be justifiable in their case, whereas a smaller mining pool may be able to justify that expense or that risk. A good example of why I say that, if you look recently, we had a block go through with zero transactions in it. This happens due to template blocks being used, which contain no transactions, following immediately after another transaction. These small delays seem almost imperceptible. You know, if I get my block to my node a half a second slower, how much does that really hurt me? It's a logic we get into. But over the grand scheme of things, getting your block to your miners half a second faster is the difference between blocks or not blocks for you. So I don't know of any pools that are going to follow through, but I do know that there were at least two I've talked to who have considered it. Interesting. Yeah, I think this is the kind of thing where price discovery has to happen first and then people get the incentive right now it's we can talk about it all we want but what's the like highest sat that like specifically just the sat sold for nobody knows that so the reality is people do get attracted when they see the 16.5 million went to yuga right like people see that and then they enter the space and they take it a lot more seriously and i think the rare sat hunting space is like mostly theoretical at the moment i personally haven't heard of any like high sales or any sort of thing like that but once that does happen, and assuming it would happen, then you may start to see an increase in just incentive alignments for miners and other participants to take this a lot more seriously. But yeah, some amazing techniques you shared there. So really appreciate that. I want to switch over now to segment four. You can take it and away. Leo, before you do, do you want to mention, because the sat hunting was like my segment five, but I want to mention two things from that. So maybe we could combine two segments here. So I think segment you- five starting now, then we're going back to segment four. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I think, I mean, you mentioned that what Nullish was doing and Cyfor mentioned like what a bunch of other people are doing. In the show notes, we have that a a Nullish has a sat that's five days after the Genesis block. That's super cool. And also that the artists behind Yuga's 12-fold drop are going to be inscribing on sats ending in the number 12. So I think this is super interesting and like it does show a level of attention to detail that I'm excited to hear like Yuga is doing a little more, I think, than they're giving people credit. People are giving them credit for. They are doing... The, using the collections model that Raf told us about, they're going to be doing sats that end in the number 12. They are trying to take, make some effort, but probably they didn't understand that they could do the PSBTs like we talked about. But that's super interesting. So I'm curious for anyone in the audience, do you care about this? Are you going to be more motivated to get a lucky number if there was maybe a collection could have every sat ending in the number 69? You know what I'm saying? And maybe the parent is going to be Leonidas's 
69 ordinal and then it just be the 69 collection with these numbers i'm per- i personally am in i like i'm a number file I like numbers so i like there's actually a youtube channel called the, the num- number files which is like my favorite youtube channel and if you watch that hit me up i want to create a little club or twitter group for people who like that channel but what do you guys think is are these how auspicious i guess it's also partially goes into like lucky numbers being auspicious there's astrology connections when it comes to numbers does anyone have any interesting takes on this or or thoughts and does it shift your preferences in any way i'm just wondering what's the difference between some ordinal collectors and astrologists (laughs) yeah this is what joe rogan was saying on the his show the other day that's getting clipped all over twitter he's like basically saying nft people are like super freaking weird and um, yeah, let's be honest, this conversation is pretty nuts, right? We're on such a metal layer of this whole situation where there's 200 people in the world who would follow along with this and they happen to be listening right now. So if you're down there, we appreciate you. And by the way, there is going to be same week. I won't plug the conference yet, but the week of Bitcoin conference, there's going to be actually an astrology sort of ordinals day. It's Casey's friend who's putting that on. So I invite everyone to that. I believe it's the Wednesday or Thursday. But that's going on. So it's a lot of overlap between astrology and ordinance. Actually, that event's going to blend the two. I think the difference between astrology and this number theory stuff is like for like developers like myself who are maybe slightly autists like myself, it's the same thing. It's like just the more approachable version of astrology is reading meaning into numbers. Certain numbers are cool. I don't know. It's just weird. But uh, Udi, what is your favorite number? 652 is my favorite number. Same. Is there something behind that number? There's four megabytes behind that number. Oh, okay. <laughs> I should, I failed. Man, I would have gotten my honorary Tapper Wizard if I knew. Yeah, that. you were so I close. Failed, so I'm. I, I have to go back to the start, the end of the line now. Yep. Yep. It's a long line. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no kid. No kidding. Awesome. All right. I think Trevor, are you good there on the, the rare stat hunting? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think, uh, guys, if you were to post that clip that side drops some knowledge, we'll also post the clip that Leo talked about knowledge to give you guys the alpha because get hunting these these rare sats and also think about the numbers. Think about how you can add the numbers to these to your collection. If you're doing a, especially as we're getting to the next stage of this game, right? It's no longer, you can't get a low number anymore. You have to be more creative for your art project and use all the tools that are available to you, like number theory or suspicion and astrology and luck. And whether you believe in astrology or not, I obviously don't, but I get entertainment from it. And I believe I believe in karma. I believe in a higher purpose. These are all different kinds of entertainment that are for different people. And there's a, and there's a market for it. I think as long as you don't take astrology like very seriously where you're like oh my god tomorrow i'm gonna meet my future wife I, who the first person the first person that looks at me that's gonna be the person for the rest of my life as long as you don't take it too seriously to make major life decisions i think it's really fine and entertaining and so think about how you can use those numbers in your collection like maybe if you have a a 2000 or a one two three four collection total of 1234 see if you can find a sat that every one of the sats ends in the number 1234 be creative about how you can combine these it's always just a little bit just a little bit of extra work and thought into your project. Awesome. So I think we can move on to the next segment. So let's get into it. So let me just find it here. So basically, this was this announcement. It's basically about CryptoPunks, right? And getting them officially 
onto Bitcoin. And I think this discussion is actually very interesting. And I don't have a bag, so I don't have the Bitcoin punks. I don't have a crypto punk. So I would love to hear from people that actually either hold any of those. But I think this is interesting because this tells me that there must be some sort of demand, right, from the CryptoPunks community, or at least maybe some complaints or stuff like that. Uh, they know that they're building this for them. And so I would really love to understand your perspective, guys, what you think about this. Do you think that it can be actually significant? Or do you think that Bitcoin punks from the, let's say, inscription numbers and even the provenance, they're going to basically forever take over? What do you guys think? I think Leonidas, maybe you can kick it off. And ZK, I, I know you're reacting, so you can also comment. Yeah, I don't want my kind of take here to overshadow like what other people are going to say because I have pretty strong feelings potentially around like remints and provenance and whatnot. I'm a bit of an on-chain provenance maxi. So I'm, it's always like slightly concerning when I see things like jumping over chains. Like I know there's this Teleburn thing that like I think the maybe it's the Open Ordex dev released like this other cool tool for Teleburn. I'm just skeptical basically. Like the market precedent I've seen for moving things across chains is just not super great. So yeah, like I'm skeptical. And I specifically, when I bought the Bitcoin Bunks, I released a thread that morning. Basically, literally it's just like 20 tweets saying this is not, I did not buy these because they're CryptoPunks. Like <laughs> I bought, I did not buy these because there's provenance with the original collection. I bought them because it's a 10K size collection in the first 35k inscriptions when everybody else was doing 100 spike collections and that was purely thinking there yeah i don't know i'm curious people's thoughts on the provenance of basically what this does is like you're not like burning your punk the way a teleburn would be you're just proving cryptographically that you hold crypto punk one two three four and then you can inscribe it on bitcoin and then you basically have this proof on ethereum that says you were the one who created it rather than somebody else like minting the, the one of these aliens, I think has been minted like over a hundred times now it's been inscribed a hundred times. So it's trying to solve that problem and basically give some sort of approval. So to me, it's just a fun experiment. It may take off. It may not. I have no idea. I definitely think what the team at Layer did was really cool though. And this is like definitely a worthy experiment to try out and we can see how the market actually prices these things. Sai, do you want to comment? So one, Layer is a good company. I won't diss on their product for that reason. However, you mentioned a little bit of wariness in regards to the Teleburn process. And that's a cryptographic forward pointer with the destruction of the original. Layer is, in my mind, a worse version of that even because you are retaining ownership of the original. So you've got Kinko's copy of your art being distributed now on Bitcoin. There's no way to maintain that the two owners are the same. So if I own Bitcoin or CryptoPunk 1322 and I use Layers Tool, I now have 1322 on Bitcoin that I can sell separately and they're no longer associated. But supposedly Layers giving me this like proof that they're associated still. It's going to create a mess. It's going to result in people getting, quote unquote, scammed from my perspective, maybe from the buyer's perspective. That's not the case. If so, I'm happy for them. But at best, I think it's going to lead to potential misunderstandings. And who wants Kinko's art? <laughs> so you bring up good points there. I'll just give a really quick response. So this is my very biased take as someone who's spent the past few years collecting these old NFTs and like studying the history of NFTs. So when you do a Teleburn, to me, that's like a sad thing to have happen to this asset that I consider to be 
this kind of historically significant, culturally significant grail that I like genuinely believe that in a hundred years, our society goes through this entire digital transformation that started around the birth of the internet. And we are living in these very digital lives. And I think those 10,000 crypto punks are going to be Mona Lisa's or something. So it's almost like taking, taking a little piece of the Mona Lisa and like burning it or something. That's my extremist view here. Sai, I hate to see these kind of like cultural things get destroyed like this. And yeah, so that's why I'm a fan of Layers Approach because it does, it does keep the provenance with the original token and people can play with this other provenance split. But yeah, like you bring up good points. It's very confusing when you now have two owners of the same crypto punk. What happens if you sell it? Did the person, you know, buying it know that it's been split off? It's just, it's a very weird situation and it's a gray area, but these are good things to have happen because these are open questions in the NFT space. And it's good to just basically get some market precedent to answer them because like I've seen my market precedent in the historical NFT space. Most of the space has not experimented with this sort of thing too much yet. And they need to get market precedent as well because it creates a more efficient market. So I'm a fan of just running the experiment, like potentially like people lose money or something, but you get the precedent. That's important in my opinion. Absolutely. I agree with you. I think it is the ship of Theseus, right? Where in my mind, anything less than bringing the whole ship across to build a new ship is not the same ship. But you could argue that you're bringing the bites across, the representation of the ship. And is that the ship? As for losing the historically relevant piece, Teleburn leaves the original on chain. It doesn't remove it from Ethereum. It's still there. It's just no longer controlled by an entity. Yeah, no, it's a great point. It gets really weird. But yeah, it's like the fact that no one can ever own that piece again is taken away. And that is maybe that just becomes part of the history. But it, it would, I'll just paint a picture that would bum me out. Okay, there's 10,000 crypto punks on Ethereum, and two thirds of them move to ordinals 10 years from now. That would bum me out because now there's in my mind as like an on chain provenance maximalist, there's only a third of the crypto punks left to be owned. And I guess if you're holding one of them, it just becomes more scarce. So financially, maybe you are fine with that. But to me, I just think, yeah, I'm just not, I'm not, it just doesn't quite sit right with me. But that's just my personal opinion. I totally understand. There's like many ways you could, you could look at this. Exactly. You, you can, if I take one more crack at this real quick, just to, I think I see where you're coming from. I think I see how that could be sad, but I also view it as being a great thing. <laughs> What's on chain, we say you own this or you own the sat that controls that. But it's all of ours. That's the beauty of a blockchain. Like, we we collectively own the history that is the blockchain. So I do fully understand where you're coming from. We disagree, obviously. But I don't view it as a loss because the asset will forever exist in the collective ownership. It's a great point. Awesome. We're going to go to ZK, and then I, I think I was next, but ZK, and then I think Post. And then... Yo, what's going on, guys? I'll throw a quick disclaimer. As everyone knows, I'm a bag holder. I trade these things like a madman all day, so just take it. Everything I say, not financial advice. Yeah, I think it's cute. The EptoPunks on ETH wanted to come over to the Bitcoin, but in my head, it's like, no matter what, I'll have a lower inscription number punk, so you can do whatever you want. In a million years from now, it's think people are going to see which one's there first they're not going to be like oh this is the 17th one and this is on the yuga's website with the inscription number so this is it it's yeah they missed the boat this is where it gets interesting because 
if anything, it shows you that there's a very strong intention or a willingness from the community to go over where they built this pretty fast. And now you have Yuga also having really successful NFT drop, arguably. So yeah, I think it's bullish on point punks. And as far as historical goes, I think it it's worth noting like how the original punks predated the RC721 standard. The Bitcoin punks were inscribed or minted arguably in a way that no collection has done since for 10K to my knowledge, and definitely no collection under 50K or 100K has done. So I think, and after that, Casey actually put out a blog or thing on his website discouraging that type of minting because it encouraged spamming the mempool. So I think there's an historical factor to this that it's in its own uniqueness on Bitcoin. And I think the orange PFP, the background is genius and it has a brand. And the one thing that is also very strong is there's a community. Like I know Leonidas and we get tagged in these Japanese punks in, and they have a meme one punk equals one Bitcoin. And yeah, so I think there's a community forming. People feel like they have something historical. And yes, yeah, there's still 1.5 ETH or something right now. So yeah, I think it's really interesting. And at the end of the day, this is what's going to be remembered. And every single attempt, what Udi was saying before, he hopes there's some type of fork movement or a soft fork or something. It's going to make it more relevant. It's like the more FUD, the more FOMO, bullish on them. But yeah, and it's also really great trading because there's really no dominant marketplace yet. People are trading them in Emblem Vaults, so they're trading in Bitcoin and ETH. And yeah, they were also the first collection to do a million dollars in Bitcoin volume from the Discord statistics, I guess, or on-chain statistics from them. But yeah, so I think they're historical in their own way. And yeah, I think if I was a crypto punk owner, I would be trying to hunt down whoever owned my equivalent side on the chain that will last or on the first proof of work chain NFT type thing. But yeah, that's my take. That's a good That's a good take. I, I don't see, first of all, I could give some examples of like, good uses of Teleburns. And I think for me, I don't see Teleburn as, I think of it just as a tool. I think it's completely neutral. It really depends on the social consensus of the collection or of the the leaders of the collection. So if Yugo Labs is not going to give people credit for Teleburning and they're not, you're not going to be able to get a ticket to their Ape Fest, you're not going to get access to future drops because you Teleburn, then obviously it's a bad idea. But the things could change with like people maybe wanting to do it to see their asset Im- immortalized. That could be a good idea if they have hesitations about it. But it may come down to the economic trade-off of what they obviously what they miss out on, especially if there's other uh, utility not related specifically to the art. If the art is the only utility, then I think probably a teleburn is probably perfectly fine thing to do. I think also there could be there could be real use cases for it. So if the collection wants to move to the L1, for example, a lot of people criticize the .BTC domains, for example, because they're on another layer, because a lot of the functionality has not been shown how exactly we're going to do it on L1. But those you could easily have people with .BTC domains, for example, teleburning them to bring them to L1. It's always an option. I think it's much less likely that people are going to teleburn away from Bitcoin. They're much more likely going to teleburn to Bitcoin. Or maybe they will. Maybe if they find some scalability limitations in the future, if block space becomes super costly, but then you're still going to have the cost of burning it, for example. But I think teleburning is super cool. And I think there will be use cases for it. I would love to see someone even come up with an incentive. Like imagine if people teleburn their mutant ape. Udi was up here before he wanted to get, he's told Thread Guy, who has a very, his brand is this like very notable like mutant ape. He said, hey, if you teleburn, I think he just said, if you burn it, I don't even think he said teleburn. 
But he's like, if you burn it or bring it to Bitcoin, whatever, I'll give you a Taproot Wizard, for example. There could be reasons why people are going to do this. There was a whole meme about this where people were posting, oh, I just burned my my board ape. And they had a picture of a fake board ape that had all the rare traits, which was really funny. But there could be incentives that people would create. You could create an ordinal collection just for people who teleburn and then give them that as a badge of honor if they actually do it. So it would be interesting to see people try to create some utility or incentive using ordinals to be able to incentivize people to to do the teleburn because I think it's I think it's I think it's really cool and I don't think it, it's been mentioned yet but the whole idea of having a dual chain existence between the portal punks for example is once someone inscribes that that punk using the portal punk technology they can then trade that asset while keeping the original right so I think the question comes down to then how is this going to work so that's a question I don't quite understand. I don't know if Leonidas, if you did, you have a solution to that, or you think that's also the problem? Dude, this is all such a gray area. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to comment necessarily. It's even me. Per- yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be predicting too much. My like big takeaway here is that just specifically, I don't like the burning necessarily. And I'm like personally, I believe if you like burn your CryptoPunk on Ethereum to Ordinals. In five or ten years, it will be worth significantly less than the CryptoPunk with on-chain provenance. Maybe Post has a different take there. I just I don't like to see these things get burned. Don't burn these grails. <laughs> yeah, exciting. Go ahead, Post. But we're also joined by the Layer team, who are the team behind the Portal Punks. So that's the great thing about Twitter Spaces. They saw the bat signal, and here they are. But Post will go first, and then Layer, if you want to jump in, feel free to raise your hand. I think like you guys have covered a lot of really excellent points. There's really only one thing I think that is super important to understand about Teleburn, and that is that all your NFT are belong to BTC. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's the pick. To be be more serious, though, to be more serious and not try to meme the phrase, the burn thing is like an important component of it, or at the very least locking it in some meaningful way on the other chain is a very important component of it. Because otherwise, you're just rehypothecating the asset. What's actually worse for the value of the asset is to just spin up a bunch of stuff on Bitcoin that is also on some other chain. And now you've distorted sort of the market's interpretation of value and you've rehypothecated it, right? Like you've created an open bidding session on two separate units that are supposed to really represent the same thing. So what teleburning does or some other mechanism that locks it is say, I want this file to, to be in a more durable data layer than IPFS. I want this file to have the data availability and have access to the interest or an intrigue of the market that is inscriptions right now. So I'm going to lock this other asset up and then I'm going to have it on Bitcoin. The teleburning might be considered more desirable than like some other locking mechanism because it is, it's a provable point of reference. Like we know since the inscription ID refers to the address that it's burned at, right? Like they, they can only really point at each other. You can't add new stuff in. You can't like fake 10 inscriptions and claim that they're all linked to the same thing. But I think in general that especially it, this may not be as applicable to stuff like punks. Like I, I would be really surprised if the punk stayed on IPFS isn't around in 10, 15, 20 years, right? Like that's a, that's an asset category. That's probably going to see a lot of attention and support wherever the data is, but there are definitely like without a doubt, there is a large number of NFT collections that that data will be purged from IPFS. There's just, there's no way it doesn't get purged. 
So if you have something that you think is special and awesome and you want to preserve it, then teleburning is definitely the ideal route. When it comes to when it comes to the huge market cap stuff, are there like sensitive decisions that you might want to make with some financial considerations or whatever? Then absolutely there are. If I had to guess, I would say that the ones that do the stuff that does teleburn will probably generate its own sort of category of excitement. Yeah, you bring up some interesting points there. I want to just clarify one thing for I know there's probably some punks listening in the audience. The punks did something weird. They're like IPFS wasn't super popular yet in 2017. So they just have this hash of an image that has 10,000 punks in it. It's just a large, I think, I don't know, you could do the math like 24 times 10,000, 240,000 by 240,000 pixel image. And they just have a hash of that image. And then in 2021, they actually went and did put them all on, which was a cool thing to do. Like very few NFT collections on Ethereum have done that because it's just not very straightforward to do it on Ethereum as well as I think they spent like an absurd amount of money to do that. But the providence for the art is pretty solid for CryptoPunks on Ethereum. I agree with your point that I think, I just don't like seeing the historical ones, guys. I think it's a really interesting experiment to run with a new NFT collection. That's That'll be my final word here. I think later I'd love to hear y'all's why did you do this, first of all? And then maybe give give your rundown of like how the process sure. works. First and foremost, I just want to thank you guys for having us up on stage and talking about this. We definitely think it's important. And you guys run a great show. So thanks again. This, so I'm a crypto punk myself. So my name is Nima Beheshtian. I'm one of the founders here at Layer. I was a punk. Oh, I still am a punk. And uh, when the Bitcoin punks came out, I thought it was actually really interesting. I thought it was cool and exciting. And I was like, oh, wow, this is great. I can have my punk on Bitcoin. Let me see if I can go grab it. I went through the minting process or oh, the claiming process. Actually, I take the back, the inscription process. I went through, I downloaded my own node and I was like, all right, I'm ready to go grab my a punk. And then I skimmed through the chart and my punk was already taken. A little bit upset, but I was like, okay, not to worry. I'll go ahead and just try to buy off the individual. And that individual decided not to lock it up in Emblem Vault and sell it. So I was a little bit discouraged. I was upset. And I was like, crap, man, now someone's got my punk image on Bitcoin. Now, it didn't really bother me too much, but I really wanted it. And then some other folks from the Bitcoin community, they were a little bit upset. There were one, two people actually ended up suing some others. I don't know what's going on there right now, but apparently it was infringing on IP rights. I'm not going to get into that mess. And then I contacted one of our developers. His name is Thomas OX Justadev. Not sure if he's here. And I was like, is there anything that we can do? Is there something that we can build just for the punks community? Something that could be like token gated that may show provenance? And he's like, yeah, let me figure something out. A few days later, he puts something together and he's like, hey, I think we have something here. So then we reached out to Noah Davis at Yuga Labs and we're like, hey, this is what we have. What can we do? We want to get permission before we release it. Is there something that we could potentially do together? He absolutely loved the idea. He's like, this is really cool. I think the punks may or may not like it. Let me run it past our team. I ran it past our team. We got an audit by OX Quit. As well, we got the VP of engineering at Yuga Labs to check out our repo. They looked at it. They came back and said, listen, what you have built was is really cool. But at this moment, we're not going to be putting our brand on it. But you have our thumbs up in the green light to go ahead and release it and do as you wish. And we are not going to come after you. So please, by all means, go ahead. And we were like, okay, that's cool. That's great. And then we went ahead and went live with it. And uh, we've been getting nothing but positive responses. That's awesome. And yeah, you definitely see like you followed the probably the procedures there that I'm sure like Noah was maybe appreciative of. <laughs> I know Robert was a little bit more Wild West style, just went for it. But yeah, look, these experiments are like really interesting. And they, to be honest, like they transcend like any collection. It's really raises these extremely interesting questions around provenance. And 
yeah, I don't know. I, I'm excited to see people try this and just like I have my hypotheses and yeah, I don't know. We'll see if people end up trading these or even doing this. How many punks have been moved over? Uh, I haven't checked in the past few hours, but the last time I did check, there was about 15 and I have about five more that want to get on Zoom tonight to run through the process because most people have, most punks, I wouldn't say most punks, some punks that I've spoken with have no idea how to manage a Bitcoin wallet, which I mean, it's very similar depending on what wallet you use. There's Xverse, there's Sparrow, I know OrdSwap has something coming out, but there's a lot of handholding and education that has to be had, which is why we, when we built this, we decided to take on Ethereum. So the way it works, users need, or punks need two things, three things. They need their CryptoPunk, they need an Ethereum wallet, and they also need an Ordinals wallet as well. So you come in, you connect the wallet with your Bitcoin punk, and we've actually teamed up with Delegate Cash. So if you, for security purposes, if you want to delegate it to a hot wallet or another wallet, that's fine. That's what I did personally. You connect it and then you pay the inscription fee, you send it over. And what happens is there's a webhook that sends a notification off to our inscription server. And then it starts inscribing the punk. And then you, before you send it off, you have to provide your Bitcoin ordinal's wallet address. And then when you go ahead and send the confirmation, the whole process begins. And uh, yeah, and it takes about an hour to process because the Bitcoin network is not really built for something like this. With Lightning, yeah, sure, it can be. We just haven't experimented with that just yet. And by no means is was our plan to take down any other collections, specifically Bitcoin punks. I know there's a lot of controversy controversy right now as to whether or not this is an attempt to bring them down. No, it's definitely not. I personally feel like it's just two separate communities. I know the Bitcoin punks were upset and mad, and this is merely just for them. And I would love to live in a world where it all works out, right? But we definitely can't have that. And markets will determine what happens. If this works out, great. And if not, that's great as well. We'll just continue to help build and yeah, build for the space and help this thing grow. 100%. And as someone who definitely like to be clear, like I hold a lot of Bitcoin punks, so I'm obviously biased on what I say, but I think it's an awesome experiment that y'all are doing. And here's the deal. If someone can like create an experiment and just destroy the value of a collection, that's probably didn't have that much value to begin with. It probably wasn't going to store value long-term. Like my thought on the Bitcoin punks as I started this kind of conversation with was it's very much about the inscription number provenance. And uh, yeah, so we have Robert up here. I appreciate you joining. Do you have anything you want to maybe share your thoughts on this? Obviously, Robert, you created, or I guess nobody necessarily created and just, it initially just started to organically happen. Even in the first 100 inscriptions, people were uploading and inscribing CryptoPunks and you guys, your team basically decided, hey, this is clearly happening organically. Maybe we can just build a client to, to streamline this and make it easier for folks. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be here. First of all, I really respect what these guys have done with Portal Punks. I'm sure the the contracts and all of the infrastructure wasn't easy to put together, right? This is some pretty cool stuff. I will say I was one of the first, one of the first 10 to do my own punk and Portal Punk it over. But I think I was also the first to create the inscription on the Bitcoin side and then bring it back onto ETH with a emblem vault. So looking forward to Ordinal's Market going live with the collection here soon. Dude, I love that so much. That is, you guys realize like the provenance of punks is like pretty gnarly now because there was the V1 collection that had the bug. And then what we call CryptoPunks is actually the second set of 10,000. And then Robert basically created the ability to mint your punk that matches the hash of the original punk. And the first one that matches is part of the Bitcoin punks collection. And that has the orange background. And that's like the Bitcoin punks that we've been talking about. 
And then these, the layer team created this other provenance solution where it basically requires approval by the V2 CryptoPunk, like the CryptoPunk in that V2 contract. And then Robert took his punk, put it through that process, and then vaulted it via Emblem Vault back to Ethereum, where I imagine it shows up in your Ordinal's marketplace, Robert, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, this whole V1, V2 thing is thing, right? Like maybe you could draw some comparisons with the Bitcoin punks as the V1 punks and i don't know v2 being portal punks i like i've been joking with people i've gone from living the matt and john experience and now like maybe the hemba or whatnot like large v1 experience too so lived out my crypto punk fantasies with with all this these goings on yeah just to because i know there i guarantee there's probably like a dozen of these like bitcoin punk i2 holders in the audience they're, they would probably argue that they're the V2. For people who don't know, on that first night when everybody was minting and inscribing these punk images, it was basically a free mint. You could just like for five or 10 bucks, throw the image up on Bitcoin. And it ended up at the end of that process. Nobody knew exactly when a punk was inscribed because it's in the mempool, right? So a bunch of these punks ended up getting inscribed multiple times. And like Robert, I think maybe thousands of them got inscribed twice. And uh, that collection ended up minting out because just organically a community came together and basically said, hey, Robert and this larger Bitcoin punk community said it's the first hash to match. We're going to say the second hash to match is the I2 collection. And that has like a 0.07 ETH4 on the Ordinals market right now. So this stuff just is really, honestly, it's it really warps my brain. But yeah, I just, I had to give the shout out for those guys because they're going to be... Dodgefather is going to be DMing me why the hell I didn't mention that they were the... All right, Lair, did you have anything else you wanted to share while you're up here? I really appreciate you coming up. Otherwise, we'll get to some other some of these hands here that I'm sure want to... I just wanted to say thanks, everybody, for participating. I know there's a lot of commotion and crazy things happening, but the good news is that we're all building. And if we were to do this, let's say, on Polygon or Phantom or another blockchain, not disrespecting another blockchain, but I believe ultimately people really wouldn't care. But because this is Bitcoin, people actually, you know, <laughs> I don't want to curse here, but they actually give a fuck about this. I love Bitcoin. One of the first crypto assets I had was Bitcoin. I was mining Bitcoin back during my college days. Not, I wouldn't call myself a maxi because I do experiment with other chains as well. But uh, I love Bitcoin and I'm, our team is going to continue to build. And I love what everyone's doing here because this just brings more attention, more builders and more awareness to what Bitcoin is and what it can do. And it's onboarding. You're literally onboarding people to ordinals, right? That's literally what you're doing on Zoom calls like later tonight. It sounds really appreciate that. Jan, I slightly... Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, No, thank thank you so much. Okay, so yeah, we really appreciate you coming up here. Jan, I hijacked your segment slightly here, so I'm going to hand it back to you. No, no worries. I just had a quick question, actually. We can go to the hands afterwards and we can probably jump to the very last segment. And I just had a question to Layer and Robert, obviously. I uh, I would love to understand, like, what's your kind of end goal here? Because obviously you already talked to you guys about this and probably there is potentially some plan to make this official or something like that. And another question is, like, what kind of demand are you seeing? in the CryptoPunks community, because I'm sure that you guys are part of it. You're part of the Discord. You probably promoted your service there. What was the reaction beyond just like having these 15 plus people that already want to inscribe? Was there any other thing that was happening in terms of the conversation? Yeah, I'll go ahead and start with what the community has been saying. Most members that I've spoken to, they like it. They have said nothing but great things. 
We had a crypto punk writer by the name of Lore Punk who offered to write a story and help us out with some of the writing content. And we brought her on board. And some have have been skeptical. Some have said, listen, this is cool. Glad you're experimenting. However, this is just not for me. Others have said, hey, this is a problem. In my opinion, as of now, it's been maybe like a 70... 70, 30 split, 70% are down for it, they like it, and the other 30% just don't know or don't care. And yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Others have said, listen, this is great, so we'll see how this transcribes, and if it turns into something, sure, I'll go ahead and inscribe my punk. And the second part, what are you, go- what are you guys planning on doing next? Continuing to build. The goal is to uh, get on some marketplaces, and uh, we actually want to build an ordinals portal, taking the same mechanism we have, the token-gated provenance system, and seeing if it makes sense to bridge over other collections and then maybe even integrate this with the layer, our layer product right now, which is in beta. And it's pretty much, it's very similar to Manifold, where artists come in, create smart contracts. The main difference is there's a website builder with templates, very similar to Squarespace and Wix, and there's collector analytics as well. But we want to offer support for um, ordinals next and then try to bridge the two together. Awesome. So let's go to, I guess, I don't know who was first, to be honest. Eli, Eli Herb. Yeah, his, sh- his shoulder's uh, in pain right now. My shoulder's in pain. No, I was actually, I would be more, I think, get Cypher to answer first because I was going to piggyback off him and I reckon that he might be adding to that. So maybe get Cypher to go first and then I'll go after him. Sure. I'm happy to go before you. I appreciate the, the shout there. A two-part question. Have you or your team considered how to solve the messaging and transparency issue that this is going to raise? And if not, who are you expecting to pick up that burden to not end up accidentally, very clear, accidentally, because I do not believe there's fault patented. I love what you guys are doing, even if I disagree with the method, but the accidental defraudment of potentially of users. Your defarming of users coming on and inscribing punks? Sure, I'll elaborate because I realize that you haven't heard my previous opinions and that makes it sound disjointed. So let's imagine I am the owner of a, of a crypto punk. We now create a mirrored copy, if you will, a, a I chisel it into stone, creating a superior copy on Bitcoin. Now there are two assets and I am not able to recreate that asset from the crypto punk. I now sell my Bitcoin copy and then I sell my CryptoPunk knowing that a future buyer will not be able to create the Bitcoin copy, effectively having extracted value from it that may end up not being trans- or communicated to a future buyer. Turn around, buy another CryptoPunk, do the same thing. Effectively, I'm subsidizing my purchases and potentially making a large profit along the way at the cost of every person I interact with. That's actually a very good point, and I'm very gl- I'm glad you raised that. So we're treating this very similar to maybe how a claim would work or an airdrop. So if I had, let's say, an ape, and then I got dropped one of the serums, and I go ahead and mint a mutant ape. Yeah, I have a mutant ape. Yes, there's not tied. They're very different scenarios, but I can go ahead and trade that or sell that to somebody else. And that's the kind of sentiment that we have here. That's how we've been thinking about it. So it all depends on, honestly, like what people think. If I'm a punk and I really want my punk uh, on Bitcoin and I do not want to sell it, I won't sell it. And if I want to sell it, I'm just going to have to face the consequences of selling that. And then the person who's going to acquire that punk inscription from Bitcoin, we're actually building a check on, on the website. 
to go to evaluate who has inscribed and who hasn't. Who has inscribed, yes, and who hasn't. So they'll be able to identify, yeah, if it's been inscribed or not. So in case I go to, let's say, for example, to the market and I want to buy CryptoPunk because I'm like, oh, I want to go ahead and inscribe this and get my CryptoPunk Bitcoin, I'll be able to see through the registry if it's been claimed or not. Does that help answer the question? Awesome. To me, it definitely seemed like you answered that really well. The analogy between, it's not even an analogy, it's basically just we have massive precedent for these airdrops and the piece in the collection is either claimed it or not. And ultimately, it's just on the buyer to take that ID, plug it into some sort of client to see if it's been received the airdrop or not. And ultimately, you'll see two floors on these collections where there's a huge drop off if it's been claimed. And then there's like a second floor much higher up that hasn't claimed the airdrop. And it all works itself outside for I haven't seen huge issues in the past with that. Usually, if you're purchasing something like pretty expensive like this, you're doing the diligence on some element like this. So I don't think it's been really an issue in the past. Eli, you were going to piggyback on Sai and then post you've been waiting. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah sorry, I guess. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I disconnected mid-conversation there, Layer. So I do appreciate that you are considering this. I love that you're building the tooling. The concern is that now you've created a additional burden of research that a user has to do beyond the standard do-your-own-research. And you've also placed that material to do that research on a site which you control. So now you have centralization, you have trust, you also have additional obscured information, potentially. I do love that you guys are going to build a, a lookup source for this, and I think that's, I think that is the minimum that needs to be done for it to be an acceptable path forward. Sorry for cutting you off there, Eli. Real quick no, before not- you go, Eli, Bayard, <laughs> no, oh, just good. want to respond to that really quick? Yeah, yeah not- no, I just want to say thank you so much. Yeah, that definitely would be an issue if we don't have a proper registry in place. And if anybody here has any suggestions, because we've been thinking about this too, because we want to be able to show and display the actual provenance without having to point people to the blockchain or an Etherscan link, because people just have a hard time reading it and it's not anybody's fault. So any ideas or just suggestions that anyone on stage or in the community, anyone on stage or out there that has, please feel free to reach out to us. You can DM us or DMs that open and more than willing to take on suggestions and work together. Sweet. Eli, you have been waiting patiently. It is your turn. <laughs> Thank you very much. No, it's yeah, been really like important points from both sides, I think, being brought up. I think that, yeah, building the tools to ensure, like Trevor mentioned a lot earlier in, in regards to a different conversation, transparency is going to be key. And I think that for every buyer, it's like yourself, Leonard, it's like you like buying historical NFTs, whereas other people buying whatever comes up every day to try and flip. There's all different types of buyers. And I think that for myself, I probably am a bit more like Cypher. I don't really want to own something on, on I, I don't want to own an inscription when I don't own the other one on the other chain. So I don't like owning the same, say, NFT or whatever you want to call it that exists in another place. But then there's going to be other people that don't mind it. And there's going to be other people that want to own both. And I think that there's always going to be all the different types of buyers. So I think that as long as the tool's being built and that also so they can verify what they're buying, but then also the fact that I guess obviously we don't want to have the buyer having to do so much work to find out what they're exactly buying, but it's a cliche, but DYOR is massive. I think with all of this, and we've mentioned it before, with inscriptions and with ordinals and all of this, say new stuff for people who, are, who it is all new for, but also who aren't particularly au fait with Bitcoin is that you are going to have to actually slow down and check what you're buying and 
that's why I think all of the marketplaces and all of these tools that are being built are going to take away from the issues which are pro- which have probably happened already with people doing OTC trades and things like that. So I think that it's a mix and I think there's always going to be different buyers that like different things. And I probably, like I said, was piggybacking on Cypher earlier as well because I actually personally prefer that Teleburn idea because I, if I was going to send one of my personal NFTs from ETH or from another chain across as an inscription onto Bitcoin, I'd prefer it to sort of only exist properly or tradable on one and not on the other, even if obviously the provenance still, it still exists in a way, but is just unable to be traded or is frozen or however you want to describe it. But then there's going to be the people that I think like what Leia are doing is cool and some people will really want to do that. So I, I don't think that there's like a perfect solution. I think it, in the end, it's going to come down to the individual. But then I think that uh, it sounds like what Leia is building is trying to combat in a way the issues that are going to, prop, prop, I guess, crop up. Because yeah, like you said, there's probably going to be some punks that exist a hundred times as inscriptions and you want to know what's the, the exact one or the one that really matters. Yeah, I just wanted to add that. I think that it's a balance between people building the tools, but then also the people who are going to be like, sending bitcoin across to wherever they're going sending it to to receive something be extra careful yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry for stepping out of turn i just can't find the raise hand icon here but a great example to that is actually the nf tiffs which are the punk necklaces from tiffany's have you guys heard of that seen that yeah yeah so i was uh, fortunate enough to be able to acquire one of those and there are some people out there some punks and non-punks who want to acquire them we've received some inquiries some people want to sell their necklace, but don't want to sell the associated punk. And there's also an NFT, an NFTF NFT as well that's associated with it. Some people want all three. I want your CryptoPunk NFT, I want the NFT TIFF, and I want the necklace. I don't want just the necklace. Oh, but this guy just wants to sell a necklace. So it all depends on the, the people, the parties, and what the market wants ultimately. Yep. Yeah, it, there's tons of different interesting parallels here. Let's go to Post and then Trevor, then Robert. Yeah, to kind of run through it in order, like Cypher's pointing out something that is a redundant level of communication from the Ordinals team, which is that there has been a definite history of absence of consumer education that has led to extraordinarily poor understandings of the products that people are putting large amounts of money behind. So there's this very deep desire to be communicative about this and to discuss ways in which inscriptions fundamentally abate some of these things. And it can continue to fundamentally abate them as long as we we participants are attentive to what the, what those surfaces are and what they're meaningful for it. It should be up to the consumers to determine the type of products that they're buying. Consumer choice is really important. And if people prefer to have this other mechanism that like, by all means, run the other mechanism, Communication on what is different about two different mechanisms is important. So I'd like to ask the question to Leonidas, since he brought up this idea of does teleburning run some risk of appreciating the value of a collection? Let's abstract some of the technical minutia away, and let's just say that you have two choices and you only get to pick one. One choice is the asset can be rehypothecated and sold in two different venues, and the other choice is the asset can be migrated and only sold in one venue, which one of these two choices runs the higher risk of depreciation in an asset class? Yeah, so I know you want me to say, yeah, okay. So in my opinion, again, I really, I have looked at all of these old projects on these like other, these old blockchains and these like platforms like Ascribe and just a bunch of these old blockchains, right? And what the artist does is they no longer exist. Like that chain went defunct, whatever, right? 
and then they come to Ethereum and do a remit. Okay, historically that has just not been valuable. Basically, that's the TLDR. I just haven't seen historical precedent for breaking the on-chain provenance. So, in my eyes, the way I view it is the provenance is specifically the CryptoPunks on Ethereum, right? And the V1 and the V2 contract, those are the ones that I believe have a strong narrative around provenance. And anything like anybody can come along and build things and it can be fun. I treat that as like a fun airdrop. Layers providing like extra value. Maybe there's some fun derivative novelty collectability. Maybe they're just airdropping two ETH to every CryptoPunk holder. That's how I view this. I do not view the Teleburn or this as the true provenance. I just, I've seen too many of these examples where literally the previous collection does not exist. And the artist is the one saying, not the collector, like literally the artist is saying, I'm reminting and like I'll reissue to holders. And these pieces are just considered like brand new NFTs. And the market has not been super receptive to that. This is just basically what I have seen. To be clear, in both of these implementations, in both the Portal Punks and in Teleburn, the provenance is clear. The provenance is extraordinarily extraordinarily well-defined in both of these models. So this is where I would disagree. Okay, so in, in the layer model, right, I don't know if anybody can just come along and create a contract that says, hey, you as a collector of this NFT can now create a second duplicate of that NFT, and now there can be two owners of that same NFT. Yeah, I, that kind of sucks. That's rehypothecation. That kind of sucks. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I look at that, and I basically say, I personally, as a collector, I'm only going to pay 65 ETH for the original punk, and that other one, is it's a fun experiment that has some like novelty to it, okay? When I look at a Teleburned like Board 8, for example, like personally, I would maybe say that holds like 5% of the value long-term, Again, this is just based on pure market precedent. Yeah, I don't know. Like basically, if you take this fundamental principle of we look at what is on the blockchain to see provenance, and so far, we have not seen any real good instances of being able to move that provenance off-chain because there does result in having, you basically have to have some sort of social consensus that says, hey, this burn method is, we're going to socially say this is valid. And I don't need any social consensus to say that my CryptoPunk in the V1 CryptoPunks contract was in the original CryptoPunk contract, right? So there, there may be social consensus required to determine that Teleburn is valuable, but there is zero social consensus required to determine that Teleburn is a provable provenance mechanic. If you have a client that observes both states of both chains and you ask the client, hey, does this hash of this inscription ID compute to this Ethereum address? And is this token at this Ethereum address? then there, there is no social consensus required. You have a mathematically provable statement that this was burned and it is tied to that ordinal. So it is not. It, there, it, the social consensus around value, value itself is a social consensus. So yes, when it comes to value, everything is a social consensus. But when it comes to whether or not the mechanic is provable, there is no social consensus whatsoever. It is mathematically provable. Yep, and I will totally give you that you can look on these chains and choose to basically believe that the provenance can jump chains. I just, I have not seen it successfully done yet. Maybe this mechanism is what changes that, right? I just, I'm literally going on how I've seen the market value on chain provenance breaking in the past. And again, the way I view it is that CryptoPunk is now sitting in an address where it is gonna sit there forever and it's not gonna be owned by anybody. 
And essentially, you made a small donation to the rest of the CryptoPunk holders because now their punks are a little more scarce. That's just my opinion. I do think... I, I'm not trying to discredit any of the... It's obviously super like dope, the technical aspects of what y'all are doing. So... I think it's really interesting. I just don't think it's going to, like from a financial socially consensus mechanism, age well over 10 years worth of time. That's just my opinion. Could be totally wrong. I feel that. And the speculative attitudes are like wide open. I was, I'm not trying to like hate on your speculative perspective, your speculative opinion. I'm really just trying to, I was trying to get at the technical minutia. For Portal Punk's sake, my contribution to the conversation would be the fix is pretty trivial. It just, and you either have to have a fairly robust conversation with consumers about the difference between two mechanisms, or you have to implement something where the other mechanism is meaningfully locked such that you aren't rehypothecating the asset. Yeah, and that's a bridge, right? And we have seen bridges work. Literally, like what Implement Vault does is more or less what you're talking about, though. So you take your ordinal, you basically put it in this wallet address, okay, and then it just sits there frozen. And people trade the key to that address essentially on via the ownership of an ERC-721 token on Ethereum on OpenSea. And the reason I have zero issue with that is because at any point in time, you take that ERC-721 and then you can use that. You can essentially burn that ERC-721 to then go unlock the asset. So you're trading a claim on the original asset versus literally just burning this brand new minted NFT where we have to agree that the original one provenance jumps over chains. Go for it, those yeah, I, you're not wrong. We just don't have a purpose for Emblem Vault anymore, I don't think. Pe- people should use it if they want to like access the front desk of OpenSea or whatever. Like Liquidity is very present on OpenSea, so like, by all means, use it. But it may take some time for the market to realize this. PSBT makes Emblem Vault completely unnecessary for Bitcoin assets. It makes it great for like counterparty assets and stuff. But PSBT marketplaces, as soon as they have user bases, as soon as they have present liquidity, there really is like zero reason to use Emblem Vault for an ordinal. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the deal. This is a much bigger question around like the kind of ordinal marketplace wars and what's ultimately the consumer is going to choose to go with and it is ultimately pure speculation. I, again, I've been in the historical NFT space and just basically witnessed that the Rare Pepe community chose to basically bridge their assets over because of the liquidity on OpenSea. You're basically, what you're saying is the technical aspects of PSBTs are are superior to the way Counterparty did it. And people are going to build marketplaces and make a better experience. And ultimately, the liquidity will primarily be on Bitcoin rather than OpenSea. I just think that would be the case. I think it just takes a lot more time than you may be thinking to get the, there's literally, I think, 60 million MetaMask users. And I think like maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people have traded on OpenSea that are just familiar with that. It takes a while to onboard a million people to have done their first, you know, or, yeah, or sure. like, like, like I said, as the migration occurs, right, and may, maybe the migration doesn't occur. When I say no reason, to be clear, what I mean is the technical reasons go away. The consumer option choices to use it are still very much present, and perhaps they don't. The technical like rationale for it goes away, right. has already gone away with PSPTs. But on the Rare Pepe subject in particular, I can tell you very confidently through through projects that I am working on that we will be seeing quite a lot of rare Pepe's make the move to ordinals. Yeah, I've been following a little of that as well. I think that's probably its own conversation for another night. Maybe we can bring some of those guys up. Robert, I did see your hand up. Did you want to just chime in a little bit here? Obviously, you're building with the Emblem Vault technology. 
Yeah, so the P, I can't even pronounce the acronym right now, but native BTC trading versus like ETH wrapped liquidity. I'm a massive fan of fully trustless trading and really admire the work that the guys at OrdSwap and Ordinals Wallet and Generative.xyz are doing. But I agree with Leonidas's take here. Like at the end of the day, there, there is a reason that the most of the volume occurring in crypto for called fungible tokens occurs on centralized exchanges, even with some really good tech now, right? Just look at like liquidity pools on ETH or I'm sure there are numerous other examples. So that's why for us, we're primarily building and betting on ETH trading first. And yeah, just speaking for Ordinal's market here, for those that don't know, like we've consistently done day over day the most volume in Ordinal's for trading so far, at least for verifiable trades. So just my two cents there. Appreciate that, Robert. Post, did you want to say something there? Yeah, I'm just going to take the hot take platform here. Trading on ETH is boomer tech. You have to pay for a state update to make a bid or a listing. And it's really like one of the dumber decisions ever made. You can use off-chain messages that are free. They cost no money to update lids and listing, if I can speak, listings and bids. So I don't think it's going to be a very challenging option for consumers at all. Do I want to pay $3 to update my listing on Ethereum or do I want to pay zero sats to update my listing on a PSBT? So I'm sorry, I just absolutely disagree. State updates for listings and bids is boomer tech. We're here with PSBTs and it's about to change. Yeah, good points. We're starting with ETH. We'll do both, obviously. Like, we're not just going to sit around on, on ETH, ETH land forever. But just day over day, even with some very good options, people are still electing to, to do their volume on the ETH side. So that's all I would say. But I agree with your sentiment. I love the native tech. It's really, it just makes a lot of sense, especially for higher value trades. Yeah, and ultimately, guys, this is where it's maybe... This is where like maybe Meta creates like some NFT marketplace protocol that's like totally centralized that wins out. Like ultimately, we've seen protocols start decentralized and move centralized. We see centralized protocols like try to move decentralized and ultimately not necessarily always the best technical solution wins out, unfortunately. And history is littered with examples like this where like on paper, it would have been really nice if we had all just gotten together and said, hey, this was the way to go. But because the way consumer adoption works, that's just not always how it pans out. But look, I think there's a really interesting kind of conversation here. And I think we're going to watch this play out over the coming months and years even. And yeah, I think I think ultimately consumer choice is by far the best option. And I'm just super happy that people who do use Ethereum are getting onboarded to the ordinal space like this. Robert, really appreciate what y'all are doing. And Post, I appreciate that you're coming up here asking like really good questions. Okay, Trevor, we'll hand it to you. <laughs> yeah, what a great conversation, guys. I do want to add a couple of things. From my point of view, the portal punks are not crypto punks. They're portal punks. They are a copy or like a, an addition or they're not, you're not like selling a crypto punk. And I think as long as people aren't trying to claim that they are crypto punks or that they have any say over the crypto punk, they're portal punks. And the portal punk, it's the McDonald's Happy Meal version of the toy. It's not the the full version of it, and I think. Uh, but I think a Teleburn. I I think that the examples of other chains that have disappeared, and then the artists reminting it on another chain, I think isn't quite the right analogy to compare to a Teleburn. I think a Teleburn is a little bit different. I do think that they definitely won't have value if the utility is from the the collection, like Board Apes. I think those will have almost. I don't know, they might have a gimmick value or if like someone, if it gets a lot of press, 
it'll have that type of value, but you're not going to get, you're not going to go to ApeFest. You're not going to get any value unless Yuga Labs acknowledges it. In which case, if they were to say, hey, a, a Teleburn board ape is equal in our book to a board ape, maybe you have the same value. Maybe it would have more value. I don't know. Maybe because the people don't want to own Ethereum, they don't want to have it on Ethereum, that as long as it was acknowledged and the utility or the value of it is lined up, then I think it's different than a chain going out of business and then the artist re reminting it on it. But then when it comes to the, uh, the emblem bot, I want to I want to Nick pick post here a little bit because he said that there's no need for it anymore. I think it's I think it's hard to speak in absolutes. Of course, there'll still be some need for it. There'll be less because a lot of the design of it was because we didn't have any marketplaces. So I think that's what you're referring to is like, we didn't have any marketplaces, now we do. But there's still going to be a lot of need for wrapping and emblem vaults and on other layers, specifically for things that will be difficult to do with Bitcoin script. And I think we're figuring those out. I don't know what those are going to be. And I have a couple examples, but I'd love to figure out what more are. But really, I'm trying to figure out more importantly, what we can do with Bitcoin script. And I think you'll have a couple of use cases, for example, for that you're going to need like fully expressive smart contracts or nearly Turing complete language broader than Bitcoin script to be something like, of course, fungible tokens. Like we've seen ApeCoin and some staking and things like this, but you would need to be able to wrap it, bring it to Emblem Vault or wrap it to another layer for that kind of a thing. I'm an investor in a company called NeoSwap, which does AI-based multi-party trades where they do a single contract. They actually generate the contract from every trade where you're going to have a trade across 20 different people at the same time. The AI decides how it's going to trade it, something like that. I think it will be probably very difficult Bitcoin script without some level of centralization. And you can always add centralization, I guess, or to the Bitcoin script side to maybe get these things done manually. There'll be logistical aspects to it. And then the uh, the third one was fractionalization. So we did see a picture of a doge be emblem vaulted to Ethereum and then fractionalized into, I forget how many tokens. It was like, a, maybe it was a billion, maybe it was, oh, I actually think it was 21 million. They fractionalized the picture of a ordinal into 21 million tokens and they made a meme coin out of it i don't see that happening on with bitcoin script anytime soon or being maybe even desirable for developers and of course we will see some form of borrowing and lending on l1 through dlc's discrete log contracts but there will also be types of and that's peer-to-peer lending there will be types of lending that won't be very convenient or practical on the L1 that might be practical elsewhere. So there will be trade-offs, there will be needs for it, but definitely, and of course, liquidity. I don't think Ethereum liquidity is going away anytime soon. There's going to be uh, the convenience factor of owning Ethereum. A lot of people just may not think Bitcoin is, they may buy into the uh, ultrasound money trope. They may think that it, that Ethereum is deflating and I'd rather hold Ethereum and keep Ethereum. Maybe they speculatively think Ethereum is going to grow more, which I, I agree with the, uh, the short term that Ethereum will probably, well, actually, now that we have ordinals, I, maybe I don't agree anymore. But previously, before ordinals, I did think next short-term Ethereum would might grow faster than Bitcoin outpace Bitcoin's growth because it is smaller and smaller market size, and they do have the deflationary mechanism. But there's a, a variety of reasons for why people will use Emblem Vault still. But I think the as the marketplaces get better on Bitcoin L1, it just makes more sense to for a lot of use cases to do it on Bitcoin L1. We'll see how the tooling evolves and. Doing an auction like what you get with 300, 300 bids having to sign for 300 different inscriptions at the same time in a PSBT. How much gas is that going to cost? Logistically, how's that going to work? These are some of the questions that are in my mind, and I'm excited to see the experiment play out. 
post, maybe you want to respond to Trevor and then Cy. I agree with just about everything Trevor just said, front to back. I'll add to it that I think that in general, people are going to be pretty surprised about what you can do with off-chain messaging schemes, DLCs, things like this that securely and trustlessly emulate all of the product design surfaces that are popular in smart contracts. It's not that they can do everything smart contracts do. That would be a wholly untrue statement. But most of the stuff that's really popular can be done. And I think that a lot of people are really heavily engaged with this idea that Trevor, you yourself made out, right? Like bottoms up, right? Build, build from the base layer out. I definitely think that there's going to be a space for utility in whether, even if it's like the base layer transaction costs get really expensive and you just want a cheaper place to trade them, right? Even if it's just as simple as that, then wrapping assets and having them in another layer or another access to liquidity, another ecosystem, like that definitely makes sense. But yeah, the the only thing I'd add is that I genuinely believe people are going to be very jaw dropped at just how much can be done on the base layer. I think it's like hearing you guys talk about some of these other things. It's really amazing. And I'm excited to see we have a set of ordinal startups. And I'm excited to see a set of just like Bitcoin layer one web three startups be the kind of next cohort you hear. Trevor, you made an excellent point there about the fees. Again, just to give that kind of market precedent, we saw people vault their rare pepes not only to the Ethereum emblem vault collection, but you can actually vault to like Polygon as well. So we saw a ton of people doing that because it was just like so cheap to trade back and forth on Polygon. And we saw some volume there because of that. And you can imagine a world where if Bitcoin plays out the way we think in 10 years, PSBT on layer is going to potentially be problematic just because most people wouldn't be able to afford in US dollar the fees to do that. And moving to layer twos in some sense is probably going to make sense for a certain amount of people and for certain assets. So yeah, there's just tons of variables here that are really interesting, but I'm very excited about the just the PSBTs are a very clean, elegant solution. And I'm very excited to see hopefully the marketplaces standardize that. So when you publish to one, you publish to all, or when you list to one, you list to all. That is a really clean user experience that I'm excited for, that the aggregators on OpenSea just haven't gotten their act together to to work together on something like that. Sai. Yeah, so we've gone back and forth, Emblem Vault, Layers, Portal Punks, and I think at the end of the day, the discussion can be had how we value the art and how we value the tech itself. But the thing that I I think needs to be deeply considered, and Layer has shown, or at least their speaker here has shown, that they're open to looking for solutions, is that the current implementation enables fraud against those who aren't able to keep up with the cutting edge at all times. Now, I think Layer will find a solution. I have a lot of confidence in the guys over there. But this is the recurring thing is we have to always be looking for the edge case. Who can be hurt by our decisions? Not It's never going to be the people in this space, right? If you are in here, you are probably somebody who's keeping up with pretty close to the cutting edge of what's going on. But it's the guy who doesn't know what's going on and goes to buy another CryptoPunk a week from now that we need to be looking out for. Again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The goal, from my perspective, is to make the space so trustless, so transparent, and so secure that we can give your grandma a a ledger and have her join the ecosystem. And also, I would love Leonidas, like, out of band to discuss our differences of opinion on how art is valued. 
in regards to something like this, whether it's transformative versus destructive. There's a huge discussion there, but I don't think it's appropriate for this specific space. Yeah, Th these conversations are great. And like props to you, like Robert Lair, for <laughs> creating these cool, interesting experiments that lead us to these awesome conversations where I'm pr like, I'm pretty sure these conversations, like we're just way ahead of the curve. I'm pretty sure like broadly the entire NFT space is going to be having these conversations in the future. And probably broadly, like the just entire crypto ecosystem will be wondering about how cross chain is going to work. Like we all say cross chain, but we really just don't have the market precedent. And it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And I always I'm looking for that market precedent because I've just somebody shows me a rock that's like really cheap. And I say that's silly, but goes $3 million a month later. Somebody <laughs> messaged me two days ago that Vitalik Buterin dropped a, an FT collection that nobody's paying attention to. Of course, I was like, Oh, that's neat. J just like when Casey told me, Hey, like, the inscriptions just got released. You should check this out. And I like started to lecture him on how he needed to have a collection standard instead of spinning up a full nodes. Yeah, like I'm always looking for that market precedent because it's just so hard to speculate on how things actually play out and how markets actually weigh these things. We can wrap this up very shortly here. This has been an incredible conversation. Post, you can have the last word. I was just going to say, I, you're right that collection standards are really important. Uh, if you don't know, you probably do. There will be one introduced with the next release build. It's on the main branch. You can use it now if you want. You just build from source. The idea is pretty simple. You create a parent object, and then all the children in the collection like point at the parent object. And if you want to close the collection where no new items can be added, you just burn the parent object to a known or obvious burn address. The problem thus far, though, with provenance has not been that you can't do provenance. It really is that there's too many ways ways to do provenance. And so converging on a standard has been a bit tricky. But yeah, so the first really serious contender for the standard is in on the next build. Everybody who's concerned about provenance can look forward to that. I'm sure that we'll have adoption in Ordinals Explorers very quickly after that. And I definitely think there's also some pretty simple ways to solve like backwards compatible provenance in ways that are inclusive to most everybody's collections. That's awesome to hear. And I think Posty might have come late, but we had a segment with Raf on this earlier and was like just very excited and we're glad that this is being prioritized and just yeah basically we can't wait because yeah it's just the provenance is going to be a really nice upgrade to the github pull requests of these json files and whatnot that are just not ideal with that i think maybe jan do you want to say anything else and then yeah trevor you can round us out here yeah thank you so much guys it has been a wonderful show i think trevor maybe you want to wrap it up with plugging the ordinals conference a little bit i think we had Ragnar here, but he had to jump. So maybe we can just say a couple of words for you guys to check it out because I think they're also going to host some hackathon, basically supporting all the builders in the space, which is what we need. So yeah, Trevor, maybe just mention that. We can wrap up and obviously we're super excited for the next week, guys. Yeah, absolutely, guys. What a fantastic show. Appreciate everybody who comes up here, share their perspective, our regulars, the new people coming up. We appreciate every audience member in there listening, learning, and throwing the comments in there, liking the, spa liking the space, retweeting it for us to get the word out and welcome more people to grow this awesome movement of art, culture, tools, technology, innovation happening on Bitcoin L1. We do have the Ordinals 2023 conference coming up. This is going to be in Miami right before Bitcoin Miami. It's hosted by a friend of mine, Ragnar, who's also an OG Bitcoiner. He has been building in the space. And he's brought a lot of us who are regulars on the show in, to speak there. I'll be there. Leonidas will be there. No, he'll be there, right? Uh, I'm actually not going to be there. Leonidas, uh, okay. I'll be there in spirit 
and we're I gonna will... we're gonna change that, Leonis. I'm gonna send I'm gonna send a, a delivery person to pick you up, maybe in an unmarked van, and then bring you to Miami for us. But guys, it's gonna be a great event. There's gonna be a hackathon for it. There's also another hackathon hosted by BTC Albert, who is another regular on the show at the end of March. Go to the Ordinals Discord. Go to the Ordicord. Talk to Post. Talk to Cypher there. Talk to everybody there. Find out what events are going on. Hackathon in March, the Ordinals 2023 conference in Miami. It's going to be awesome. I've pinned a tweet to the top so you guys can check it out. You can follow them. There's going to be some more great speakers there. Ragnar has hosted a lot of great events. And I just think it's going to be fantastic. What an exciting future we have in store for this community. We host the show every Monday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, and every Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. We go until we get bored or run out of energy to talk about Ordinals. And we're always welcoming new people up here to learn ask any questions and yeah that's it for tonight